0: The most listened to radio show on the planet even the other stations are tuned in to.
1: Hi, I'm Dustin Leistra, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast.
0: Hi, this is Chuck, and you're listening to Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, this is Darren Schmidt from the Dead Man's Digest, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. I accept the Coaster Challenge. I accept the coaster
1: challenge.
0: I accept the coaster challenge. I accept the coaster challenge.
1: I accept the coaster challenge.
0: I accept the
2: coaster challenge.
1: I accept the coaster challenge. I accept the coaster challenge.
2: Do you accept
3: the coaster challenge?
1: What is the coaster challenge? A group of regular people that went from fearful to fearless all from riding roller coasters. So please secure your hats and glasses. It's time to take
0: the Coaster Challenge. Here are your hosts, David Cantu and Jenna Gazelle. Hey, how's it going, Jenna?
1: Great. How's it going, Dave? It's going good, going good.
0: Happy Friday.
1: Oh, man. It's Friday already?
0: I know, isn't it? Oh. This week's been going by pretty fast.
1: Uh, here, I was thinking it was like Wednesday.
0: Jeez. You know, <laughs> late, you know, lately I, I will tell you, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine, and since the pandemic last year, when we were in lockdown and everything, it's almost like... We didn't even know what day it was because it, it
1: was the twilight time. Yeah. Uh, that's and what it was.
0: So- Getting back to somewhat normalcy here this year, it's like oh, got to get back on your feet. Oh, it's like having to restart everything all over. Oh, today is Monday. Oh, that's right. But every time, like some days in the week, it's like I feel like I'm a day ahead to find out. Oh no, I'm a day behind.
1: Have you ever had it where you're like a month ahead and you're like oh, we're
0: in August? I've had that one time. I, I did last last year. In fact, I'm thinking I will say during the lockdown it dragged, and I thought oh, is it is it june already goes oh no it's still may i'm like wow i'm like it's funny like when when you're in a period of time where you've got you're doing nothing right the time drags It just takes forever. But when you're busy, time flies.
1: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of this one line out of a movie called Merlin where Merlin talks about how when he was happy, time like went by really fast. But when he was sad or was really down, it just kind of drug out for him. So yeah, I totally understand that.
0: Yeah, well, I I totally hear you on that too. It's like, but I will say this week has been pretty quick week for me. But yeah, but we've gotta, a really special episode today. We got a, a VIP in the house.
1: Ooh. We've
0: got uh Corey. Now Corey runs the No Midnight Media Podcast. It's one of the biggest theme park podcasts. Out there, and Corey does amazing storytelling. Yeah, episodes. You,
1: you had me listen to one of his podcasts. Yeah,
0: uh, he did a, a big interview, Bob Gurr. Yeah, yeah, I
1: I was uh, I <laughs> like lost for words because yeah. you know how I am about Disney stuff, and just listening to that podcast. And Corey is
0: huge with Disney. He is so fascinated with Walt Disney, and for him to get and he's good. He became really good friends with Bob Gurr, and the story. If you guys. Ever, if you have not ever heard of No Midnight podcast, you gotta go on his podcast and just look up the story about Bob Gurr. If you don't know who Bob Gurr is, and if you're not if you're not a Disney fanatic, he actually designed the Utopia cars, helped design the Matterhorn, I believe, Haunted Mansion as oh,
1: well. A lot of the lot he did a lot of the rides, rides, and
0: he was a designer, I believe, for uh, Tokyo Disneyland, and he actually worked side by side with walt disney himself and it's just his storytelling how he did the story it's just amazing and i highly recommend you guys take the time if after you're done listening to this podcast tune in to no midnight and just look up he just does incredible stories in general when it comes to disney you
1: know what it's kind of funny because the way he he does his storytelling it's almost like he would be an author because he's very descriptive of what he's doing.
0: Oh, yes. This was Corey's career. Corey was a professional broadcaster, worked for major radio stations. He's just very incredible, and his stories are just fantastic. And uh, Andrew is standing by with Corey today, and it's an incredible story. But first, let's do our lovely segment, Jenna. Let's do our YouTube highlight clip, clip of the week. YouTube clip of the week. All right, in this week's YouTube highlight clip of the week, Jenna and I happened to watch a very interesting YouTube clip. Now, in the past, we have discussed in some of our highlight clips about virtual reality, the VR system. A couple episodes back, we did a story. Uh, we talked about a clip about a professional soccer teams that were doing, had a challenge to put on the VR system, and they had to walk a plank on a skyscraper, and it looked so realistic. And watching the reaction of these soccer players just freak out and start breaking in sweats and literally were falling off. They had like this this actual board in the room that's supposed to symbolize the plank and these guys were just nervous as heck. But this particular clip that we saw this week, not really the same as a plank on a skyscraper but this was actually a virtual reality of a roller coaster okay so this is at a mall somewhere in europe i'm assuming and this gentleman was put on this virtual reality and it's front of his tv screen And, Jenna, you just could not get over what what this guy was going through. Oh,
1: my. I I mean, it's hilarious because, like, yeah, they have the TV screen and this guy's got the VR on. And this other guy is standing behind him and he could see like what he's seeing
0: and what he does to him just trips this guy out. Yeah. I'm just this I'm I'm getting so fascinated with this virtual reality because I've never really done VR. Neither have I. Neither have I. I, But it's amazing because apparently once you put it on, it's like your vision sees what it sees and it it thinks that it's all real. It's like this mental thing to the brain where it thinks that you're actually It's part
1: of it's that whole uh, the five sentence sense senses. Blah. I can't even talk today. Night. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, once you put it on, it's almost like everything else for the senses kind kinda of goes out the window yeah your sight or your, your sound your your smell your taste your touch it like all flies out the window yeah, for a minute so
0: this guy is standing he's got the vr system on they put these headphones on i'm assuming it's for the sound or everything so that he right. can hear so it sounds like you can hear the roller coaster sounds you hear it going up the lift hill you hear that chain click and all that stuff but there's this guy who's doing the vr is standing directly behind him like you said and all of a sudden, you should see on the TV screen, it's going up the lift hill, go up the lift hill. And the guy's sitting there looking around like, hey, yeah, I'm going up the lift hill. He,
1: he's he's really calm about it. Yeah, he's it. calm
0: about it first. And then all of a sudden, it looked like right when they got to the crest, right when it's getting ready to do the drop, all of a sudden, this guy, what was it, Jenny, he just pushed him? Yeah, he, like, put like shoved him, just like a light
1: push, just to kind of give him that feel of like that he was going down or something and the guy that has the vr totally
0: freaked out i mean he was screaming he he fell to the floor and the floor is marble so i guess it's very slick and he has slick shoes but they were trying to get him back up he was trying to get back up he kept falling on the floor and he's and he's screaming panicking and it was like (laughs) oh my gosh what is what's going on here and just this is the second VR that i've seen on youtube where it's like wow i I, it makes me like i think the next time if i see something vr like that i need to give it a shot
1: vegas vegas has a lot of those types of things
0: yeah i've heard they do a star wars one too
1: i don't know about star wars one but the last time i was there was it excalibur or luxar one of the one of those two on the strip they had a little you know vr thing but I think it was like more of like a sitting one, so you could like sit and do whatever it was. I think it was like one of those you could tour Hawaii's islands or something. I, I mean, I'd be kind of interested just to see. I don't know,
0: but just seeing this clip, just like the other one we've done a while back, the way how this guy react, all the guy did was lightly push him, like right as it shows the train was going down the lift hill this guy just completely went insane and would panic pack and just fell to the floor and i was like wow i go come on this is a device you know it's on your head i know you see it so but it must be some sort of mental challenge because man it it really must fool the brain really good and i will say like i i i said this in the past virtual reality this looks like a good science experiment of strength training your mind on how to face your fears and but this one here this guy was really scared
1: yeah i i i don't know about facing my fears with a vr thing i'd probably freak out too if it came to spiders or i just look snakes? at i just look at it, as it, <laughs>
0: it looks like it would be a great training tool to help you conquer your fears as well yeah and uh, kind of help prepare you for some but uh, this was just a Hilarious clip, but it was just interesting to see this guy's reaction. So, but if you guys want to check it out, the title of the YouTube video is called Man's Reaction to Virtual Reality Roller Coaster Prank is Quite Extreme. And I just, I'm going to make sure I put this in the show notes you guys to be able to click on the YouTube link but it was just just amazing to see this but yeah check it out guys this was really interesting but I would have to say Jenna this was a really good YouTube highlight clip clip of of the week. week YouTube clip of the week Alright, So Andrew is standing by. He's got a very special guest with him today. He's got Corey from the No Midnight Media podcast. It's one of the most amazing podcasts out there. Very incredible story. And I hope you guys really enjoy it. So take it away, Andrew.
2: Thank you, David and Jenna. This is Andrew, one of the producers of the Coaster Challenge podcast, joining you again. As many of you know, from uh, previous interviews that I've had here on the podcast, I'm a big fan of podcasts in general, theme park, technology and all sorts of different types of uh, content. And, and subject matter and i gotta tell you of all the podcasts i've listened to person i'm going to talk to today produces some of the best content i've ever heard in a podcast best produced in terms of the audio quality but also the content itself the stories that are told uh, how they're told this is incredibly creative so i'm really excited to have the interview that we're going to be doing here today i'm going to be uh, talking to the founder and creator of the no midnight media network of podcasts master storyteller Christopher Beal, some of you may know him as Corey. Welcome to the podcast, Corey.
3: Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, Master is such a title to live up to, though. I don't know if I don't know if I want to live up to that, but uh, I attempt <laughs> to tell stories and uh, to varying degrees of success. Yeah, I think that's that's fair.
2: Your your humbleness is very very uh, respectable, absolutely, Corey. And you know we'll be talking about a few of my favorites, and I'm sure there are many fan favorites. You know, the ones that you and I have talked about offline before. Some of the work you guys have done, you and the and the crew there. You know. Adam and Albie and Jack and everyone else there. No yeah, midnight, our crew has
3: so. <laughs> grown quite a bit from uh, from the early days for sure.
2: Yes, I remember those days for sure. I, I I started listening to you guys probably about a year after you got started, so it's pretty early on still. So it's been a
3: few years. Yeah, we're a team of eight now. Uh, it started it started with two, with just me and Philly, and uh, it has now evolved into a, a team of eight people and like twenty five different Slack channels. And I mean, it, we're we're a full on production group, and it's uh, it's one of the more rewarding things I do with my life for sure. That's
2: awesome. That's awesome. So for the interview today, and this is gonna be a little different than the typical interviews that we do, some of the questions will be similar, but uh, it's going to be a kind of a two or three different parts. The first part, we're going to get to sort of your your storytelling and podcast experience and, and all that, because there's some fun things to talk about there a little later, later on. But I want to start with first is uh, one of your passage is uh, theme parks. I know that you love theme parks like I do. You've worked in the theme park industry and and whatnot. So the first thing, if you could just tell our listeners is, Tell them about yourself. You know, you know, just yourself in general. You know, kind of who you are, and then
3: your experience within the theme park industry. Sure, I think I can tie all of that together pretty well, actually. So I grew up in the Orlando area uh, in a little town called Apopka, just north of Orlando, and grew up fortunately having annual passes and getting to go to the parks and experience that with my family. And and then uh, my parents divorced, and my dad remarried, and then there were three more kids in the house, so it was five of us going to Disney, and I just have a lot of really positive memories, including uh, one. That I'll, that I'll share that really uh, is kind of I, I, one of the first tangible moments I remember in the parks. And it was like a, a Tuesday morning and uh, I was in elementary school. And the elementary school was exactly a mile from our house. And we all loved our walk to school or some of us would ride our bikes. And it was just, it was a mile, it was safe. It was through a suburb, it was fine. And we all looked forward to it every day. Well, uh, dad comes out with his best poker face on and goes, goes, I got bad news and good news. The bad news is you can't ride your bikes to school today. and he sa- saying it like we're in trouble. So one of my brothers starts crying and everybody's being really dramatic. And then that smirk comes across his face and he goes, but the good news is it's because you're not going to school today. We're going to Disney World. And like we got to take a day off from school and spent the entire day. We all wore matching shirts and it was just, uh, I still have a snapshot from that day too. But it was an an early memory of uh, the parks being something that I always associated with reward. It wasn't until I started uh, kind of studying Disney as I, uh, as I got older, I became a radio person personality and uh, did did that for 20 years. And uh, over the last five to 10 years have become interested in uh, in broader forms of, of media, expanding into podcasting, public radio, etc. cetera. And um, dur- through that, I really, really began to study Walt Disney himself. Through that lens of kind of getting to understand Walt, began to experience the parks in a way I had never experienced them before as a, a tangible form of entertainment. And as someone that to, uh, to quote Billy Crystal and City Slickers makes air it's really cool that someone thought of this form of entertainment this physical thing that you can touch and experience and is special and is a cultural phenomenon basically my love of, of Disney has evolved as I have evolved but there's um there's something there at each stage of my life it's it's, it's just the, the greatest and entertainment and we do a podcast that's uh that's based on trivia around theme parks and so um the the theme parks endlessly entertaining and lots of content and by the way if the park ever stop being entertaining, the people that go to them will never stop being entertaining. So I think that's that's what I love about the parks. Um, my experience with the industry, really quick, not only did I grow up there, I I, I boast thousands of visits, whatever that means, to Orlando and about meh, 12 to, to Southern California, believe it or not. But but I grew up going to the parks and then my first job was at the old downtown Disney McDonald's on Disney property, right just, just across the bridge from Pleasure Island, which is where um, a manager recruited me to work my first job for Disney at Pleasure Island Outdoor Foods and then I left and started my radio career. During a break in my radio career I managed, um, some some people listening may remember these. I think the most prominent ones would have been at Epcot, so I'll focus on those. At Epcot, right at the entrance to World Showcase and right in the East Breezeway was a Balzac balloon cart where they sold those inflatable balloon balls and the guy would always throw them at you as you walked by. Yeah, I managed those for uh, for about a year during my, uh, during my break from my radio career when uh, the economy tanked in 08. And then I got back into radio and I have not looked back, but I still, I guess I do look back, but I look back fondly instead of looking like I want to get back there.
2: Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And actually, you bring an interesting point, you Now, in terms of entertainment, a lot of entertainment is non-tangible, you know, movies, TV shows, you know, the kind of, most common forms of entertainment, or you know, to your point, radio and podcasting versus theme parks—they're very much hands-on. You have to go somewhere; you're you know interacting with it's these attractions. The yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it, it hits yeah. you at
3: every, including smell. Like every single sense is hit, whereas um, you kind of have to choose one with traditional media.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So you mentioned you have some experience, you know, working there uh, on Disney World property, and actually at, at the parks. Did you also work for Universal Orlando at some point?
3: I did. Yeah, I was uh, I was a spieler at Earthquake. Back in the day back when um the first the section in the back that you went to on the car was run by you know like show operations and engineering and you know we we, we didn't go back there though we could that's another story for another podcast. <laughs> but but I I worked up in the front where um you know you had the the casting director in the front room and then uh, the person introducing the uh, the miniature by Apogee Productions in Hollywood Beverly Hills California in the second room and then all the stunts and everything in the third room so that was really fun I did that for a little while and I've also worked for the um, before it was NBC Universal actually it was the Universal what do they call it the Universal Broadcast Center or something it was a uh, no no the is where they 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 show you the previews of like movie trailers and, and uh TV pilots and pay you to watch them in the park. I used to do that too. But I oh, fun. I had to like walk up to strangers. I don't like them. Um. and now <laughs> I'm a journalist, which is like now that's like ninety percent of my job. But yeah, it was just weird. But I walk up to people and offer to pay them to watch stuff. So interesting. Yeah. I, but for America, so things, everybody yeah. thought it was a scam, you know? Everybody was like, ah, <laughs> what's the catch? Right,
2: right. Yeah. Sounds kinda of suspicious. Right, right. <laughs> So uh, one of my favorite newer segments, uh, recurring segments, uh, that's part of No Midnight um, Media Network is Adam. Adam's awesome. He loves history like I do. Theme Park Time Machine. So we're going to kind of kind of, almost do a literal Theme Park Time Machine here. I want to
3: take you back. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Don't okay, worry. There's no way quiz I wasn't involved. sure where you were going, but I'm glad it was there. Yeah. <laughs>
2: No, I do I no, in all seriousness I, I love Adams the part-time machine segments they're they're awesome because you know like you he's very very detailed in his research and he loves his history and it's it's fun you know fun stuff and then, well yeah, and a lot of, course of the, the audio great that by the yeah. way
3: because I that show is a two-person operation though Adam is right? the person you hear well it's actually a three-person operation I serve as the editor um edit editing the copy approving the final audio etc but um, Adam writes that narrates it and then Jack has been doing sound design on that from day one so um, if you like the sound of theme park time machine that is all jack like um he's now doing that for theme park pulse the game but like i initially designed it so we're calling that sound mixing but time machine he designed that's completely his so that,
2: that's awesome i know that's in the credits every time and i yeah i was gonna say that yeah the uh, audio is great on that of course i mean there's really you know with no midnight there's no bad audio that i've heard i mean you guys always have some of the best audio quality and that's and you know, awesome. because
3: i'm a big jerk it, <laughs> because <laughs> it's because and, and everyone will agree but like you know it it's just I came from a radio background and I told the guys from the very beginning and guys and now gal like if we're going to do this and it's going to have my name on it it's going to sound great I can't I can't affect where the listeners come from but I can affect what comes out of the speakers and that's going to sound great and everybody's um you know participated in that and we've we have found some ways to record remote audio that sound pretty clean and and yeah so thank you for that we work very very hard on that that's step one of everything we do
2: of course of course that's great and, and you know you've been an inspiration for me I mean I'm certainly a perfectionist and Certain aspects of my life, and not um,
3: you I... No. <laughs> that so besides, sound accurate at all. Speaking lies so be... <laughs> on the Coaster Challenge podcast, yeah. Oh. What can I say?
2: What can I say? Hey, so, besides, uh, producing this podcast, which is a fledgling podcast, we only got started here a couple months ago, well, not, not even great. two that's months that's ago. Not a nice
3: thing to say about yourself, a fledgling. Well, no. <laughs> you're uh, like the, just this the, podcast the little podcast that could who knows now, oh yes oh yes no we're doing
2: great we're gaining a lot of momentum but to this, five,
3: one almost five years like we're at and you'll be like oh yeah we've we been doing it for this long
2: I wouldn't be surprised given the plans we have we've got some great plans already planning out through the rest of the year and all that but but besides producing this podcast I've been producing now for a couple of years the uh, Ace Ride With Us podcast which is the official podcast for the American Coaster Enthusiast Organization my role is different this podcast I'm more of a recruiting talent and scheduling interviews and then doing the interviews like we're doing today david who's uh, behind the scenes here always with us in each of these episodes he's uh, the one that does all the editing and it's all he, you know he's really sees how much work it is now in my my no, work I, with I, ace i recognize the facial <laughs>
3: expressions of an editor when i see them because yeah. it, it is, as his eyes get wider he's thinking of how much more work the show is going to be
2: oh yes oh yes (laughs) i've given him some challenges recently with some special coverage we did we did a live episode last week live recording that was like two and a half hour marathon show and but with ace i
3: bless (laughs) the behind the scenes people in radio and podcasting and television they don't get enough credit
2: there you go there you go With ace i do the uh, some of the interviews i recruit my own talent and come up with the interviews kind of what i do here but i also edit my own content and that's what i was kind of driving towards Corey. is i it i I'm painstaking with my editing. I'm editing out all the throat clearings and the repeat words and the, the gaps and people say the wrong thing or that you know everything. that you know, is like I just did there, and uh, it's a lot of work. So I, I can appreciate the work that you guys do and, and editing and, and got a quality and all that. So it's awesome. Thank you.
3: Yeah, it's uh it's become a lot more fun now that uh, now that we have somebody on the sound design side. Now that I can do the 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 content editing, which is truly the really detailed work, and then save it and say this is what I want in the show. Now make it pretty. <laughs> so it's. To, it's a lot more fun. Now that, uh, now that we have eight people uh, to work on a show instead of just me, it's a lot more fun.
2: Nice. Yeah. It's good to spread out the, the joy and the, and the labor and the trials and tribulations for sure. Thanks for sharing you know, a little bit about your your background. And I know I've heard some of these stories in more detail either from you personally or on one of the No Midnight shows over the years, one of the episodes over the years, kind of getting to know you. I remember the McDonald's story. I've heard that one before, So, but it's great for you to share that with our audience here in, uh, in this podcast. And, you know, obviously you, you grew up in Florida and going to disney world i'm sure universal and all the local parks now you're in california you go to disneyland you've been there a number of times God, so you and, just and you,
3: answered that question for me andrew we could have done that in two seconds right
2: yeah well i knew the answer but i want our listeners <laughs> to find out the answer and i you know so yeah yeah
3: Why, want, um, so obviously <laughs> to one, just to one of these <laughs> questions later i'm just gonna say well you tell me andrew
2: <laughs> all right that, you know what that Let's could be see. a good Let's challenge. This, this is a coaster challenge podcast. Like oh, yes. be a good challenge. Yeah. yeah, there you go. There you go. So, you know, obviously you have a lot of interest in theme parks. and As you mentioned, kind of learning about, you know, Walt's life and, and the parks themselves and how special they are and have experienced them, of course, many, many times. You obviously have some close connections. So let's talk about, again, continuing with our theme park, Time Machine, going back to probably some of your earliest days living here in Florida, growing up here, of uh, your first theme park experience. What do you remember as your first theme park attraction? you ever experienced
3: oh goodness first attraction
2: yeah (sighs) what's your memories yeah
3: man i'm having to go way back because like i remember i remember that day that i shared earlier that's a really nice early memory but as far as first attraction first attraction i remember liking we'll go there First attraction okay. I remember liking as a kid was at Epcot. It was Horizons. I used to oh. really, really enjoy Horizons. And I remember going on a school field trip shortly after they began the demolition of the Horizons building finally. But um, yeah. anyone who followed that knows it didn't happen very quickly. So I was there to see, not knowing my favorite attraction was closed and <laughs> then to walk up and see it in ruin. And I remember that being like a really sad moment when I was a kid. But yes, Horizons was definitely my jam growing up. I just remember the getting to choose your own ending which just so cool right so high tech at the time
2: yeah so i i grew up in new jersey and so disney world was my kind of typical disney park or disney resort that i would go to more so than disneyland i didn't go to disneyland until i was an adult but growing up same yeah yeah so it would have been 86 we came down here for one of our many trips over the years from new jersey down to florida and that was my first time ever going to epcot and in fact yeah in 86 went to epcot i didn't go there again for might've been even 20 years because I moved out to California and started going to Disneyland and all that. But I, I have, I was, a teenager like 13 years old or so in 86 and again Epcot was only like 4 years old it was a brand new park basically and sadly I don't have a lot of vivid memories even though I was 13 um, it's just nothing kind of stuck you know memory is such a weird thing like where certain things stick out vividly for you and some of them are independent of age like you can be very you could have been very young but remember something vividly and then something that happened a week ago as an adult you barely remember what it was so but I have a really
3: strange <laughs> memory of my grandfather who died when I was nine months old and my mother swears there's absolutely no way I could remember that and I remember it. And oh, like, wow. My dad, re- my dad remembers it. My mom doesn't, but I remember it vividly and it's dumb. It's like a dumb, just random memory, which is why right. I know it's real because <laughs> it wasn't interesting. So, it wasn't like I was flying with grandpa. Like it was, you know, oh, grandpa was sitting in that chair and you were talking to him at that about blah, blah, blah or, you know, when so and so was there. It was something very specific and minor, but yeah, memory is strange.
2: Yeah, I, yeah I, can't,
3: I can't, I can't, I don't even know. I'd have to really struggle to remember what I road last time I went to the park. <laughs>
2: right. That makes sense for sure. Uh, yeah. So in 86, your horizon was there at that point, but I don't remember it well. I remember universe of energy or whatever it was called then. I remember spaceship Earth. there's certain things I remember from Epcot, but certain things I don't, but yeah. I've heard so many positive things about horizons over the years that you know, Sony, like Alicia Stella, you know, a friend of yours, friend of mine, you know, she loves talking about it. And she's, from, I believe she is from where
3: she's, she's from Florida. She's lived here for years. So, well, you know, it's one, one of those transportation lost to that was great too like I, I, oh nice old, old epcot was just wonderful
2: oh old Ep- old, Ep- old epcot was amazing i don't remember a lot of it again a teenager it was a long time ago but what i remember is, i remember it was very science it was very authentic and then with world showcase behind it being you know very different you know very much like a world's fair in terms of it being an international aspect of things and seeing different cultures still world showcase today is, is a, one of my favorite aspects of disney world and i hope yeah. future world improves as well as they They're evolving it, so but okay. So thanks for sharing that. That's a that's a very good first experience. Great attraction there. Now we're gonna kind of switch gears a little bit. This could be something you experienced, you know, two years ago, or maybe when you were a kid. I want you to think about over the years what has been the theme park attraction. It might have been a roller coaster, might have been a Tower of Terror, might have been something else entirely. But what attraction scared you the most? Like was we gave you most fear. Before you get on it, okay, you've got an answer. Okay, so what easy, is
3: it? so easy. Okay, um, it's not in a theme park, though. I think you'll appreciate this. It is. It is in fact a roller coaster at a, a park known for roller coasters. It's one of the tallest in America, and it scared the. I don't know what I'm allowed to say on this podcast. Out of me, <laughs> um, I'm going to paint the picture, and then I'll and then I'll reveal it. Storyteller. So at the time, I was I was dating a guy. I was living in um, this. Here's the the part of the teaser. I was living in Cleveland, Ohio. I was dating a guy there. <laughs> Me, I had been I had been to this particular park before, but I had not been with um, someone I wanted to impress. So, <laughs> so I finally go with my boyfriend, then boyfriend, and his two small children, who are I think five and seven at the time, like, pretty young. And then you know we we ride we ride the Millennium Force, which I love, and you know uh, several of the other classics there at uh, at Cedar Point. Then it's time for Top Thrill Dragster, and I mean I mean shaking, I am. T- Terrified. I don't want to go on it. And in fact, did not go on it on this trip. I wussed out. Yeah, I went with uh, I went with my then boyfriend and his kids through the line and then uh, got to the end. And I was like, I'll watch the kids. And I stayed. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until a couple of years later that I took a friend of mine that I actually ended up riding it. But that is the, the one that actually struck enough fear into me that I didn't do it. And it's the only one that has ever done that to me. And And I have since ridden it like three times. So it's cool. We're over that now. But like, man, that's a scary ass coaster.
2: Yeah, it's very, very formidable, just the height of it and the, and the launch speed. It's the second tallest roller coaster in the world. And it's the first one is only just like, I think it's about 10 feet taller. They're the same model made by Intamin. And the other one's in New Jersey, by the way, at Six Flags Great Adventure. But I've been on Top Thrill Dragster. Yeah, it's
3: Superman, isn't it? Superman, the ride's the, the taller one? Uh, no,
2: Superman. No, Superman, Superman is, smaller. I think it's number three. I think oh, okay, it's number gotcha. three. Because both Top Thrill Dragster and Kingda Ka, which is at Six Flags Great Adventure, those are both over 400 feet tall. Hall and superman is, is i is up there too, but it's not quite as tall. But yeah, they're all very formidable. Again, that height and that speed—they're all very fast. And I've and been then, on. And then there's uh, also the, yeah. uh,
3: the 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 line time versus ride time. Debate, right. You know, it's like, do I want to wait in line for this for for this 14 second experience for two hours? Do I really want to do that? Right. That's, yeah.
2: If you think about it, us kind of theme park fans, whether it be a roller coaster or haunted mansion or pirates or you know any attraction in any theme park, yeah, we like the amount of time
3: dined. You know,
2: right. The amount of time to usually wait is much longer than the actual attraction itself which you know some people would probably look at us and think are you crazy that's but, not a quality but you're not experience waiting but... out
3: in you know on, on concrete out under the hot right. sun under water fans like you're just being entertained while you're in line I think that's I've said this to you before privately Andrew like that's one of the things I that I really wish uh those coaster parks would pick up a little bit more on is pick up more on the theming and the ability to use coasters to tell stories because I think people like Universal uh, or organizations sorry like Universal are beginning. To, to do that. And it's really, really impressive that you can build a roller coaster and still put in a story. What a concept. Oh, yeah.
2: No, it's Corey, absolutely. I'm 100% on board with you there. Yeah, I mean, I like Six Flags and Cedar Fair. And, you know, I love the thrill coasters and those parks. But Universal, really, compared to the coaster parks, compared to Disney, SeaWorld, Universal's my jam, Yeah, especially Universal Orlando, because they're right in the middle of everything. They have the highly themed rides, the amazing themed lands. They've got great customer service. Few members are awesome. Just great quality experiences. The food's pretty good. You know, again, the theming, but and then the for attra-
3: those of us who are adults without young children, right? Um, it is, it does not. And look, Disney is not, I, you know, I always hashtag Disney as an adult and Disney's great for adults, but there is kind of a general attitude at Disney. that's like, oh, but there's children like that general attitude, <laughs> right? Universal, right. Like the, the, that's just not, not a part of it. Uh, uh yeah. Kidland is over there. Um, otherwise a mom margaritas are right next door, like universal. Has found that blend of making it a place that, uh, frankly, they've made it what what Walt probably was. If Walt were were starting over today, he would have wanted a place where the adults and the children could play together. And by modern standards, Universal has done that really well.
2: Oh, absolutely, and especially in the past, you know, ten or so years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so starting to say there. You know universal so because really they, developed. they stopped
3: trying to out disney disney right which i think is what they were doing when they started with ioa with islands of adventure they right. they were like okay we can do theming too and then they were like okay but it's still not disney like we got to be different and now they've figured out how to do advanced some at, at times Diagon Alley looking at you. At times, more advanced theming than stuff we're seeing over at Disney. It also doesn't feel, it feels like an experience I can have as a 38-year-old man and not feel a little silly. And granted, part of going to Disney is feeling a little silly and suspending your disbelief and being a kid, and that's awesome. But like, you know, Universal kind of meets you where you're at, and I love that. I really like that. Yeah.
2: That's a good way to put it. Meets you where you're at. Uh, yeah. I'm like, like you said, all the theming is wonderful. Uh, and even out theming Disney at times, especially with, with Wizarding World and, and so forth. But on top of that, you know, Universal has more thrill attractions and higher thrill than, than Disney does, mm-hmm. and they're doing it in such an amazing way where they're not even necessarily like a traditional thrill coaster park. They're not forgetting about the theming aspect. You know, Universal now has, in Orlando, three storytelling or story-oriented coasters with high theming. You know, and and they keep outdoing themselves as well. And, and you know, I know that you know. I just shared with you uh, an audio review review of Velocicoaster Coaster for the No Midnight audience that you were you were uh, so great yeah, we to put it to on. Uh, it comes out on yeah. the room Scroll on uh, the thirteenth, right? Day after today, recording here. Yeah, and and you, know, you heard my review of it, and I know you're a little jelly, but hopefully you'll be coming down to Florida here to get to experience it for yourself. But it's just an incredibly themed attraction that's also high thrill, and it's just got everything.
3: Yeah, it's sure. definitely on on my list. For uh, my upcoming trip this year, for sure. Awesome. Let's go back to Cedar Point,
2: though. I you know it's kind of a little bit disappointing because, you know, we love Universal and love these highly themed attractions, but let's let's talk about uh, your experience with Top Dragster. So, that first time you were so scared that, and I've heard a lot of people doing this, by the way, you know, you're not alone here where they'll wait online for that particular coaster and they don't. They just can't do it. Yeah. They just can't do it because you're right there. Yeah, it's not like, again, a highly themed park where you've got an indoor queue where you don't even see what the ride is and you get on it. And that all that mystery, mystery is great. But, well, you know, for top don't off of
3: this coaster looking normal either. Like this is not, <laughs> right? you know, like <laughs> if you've ever stood by the accident of a, of a coaster to be like, oh, let's see how they are. Because, you know, we've all, I think right. we've all done this on water rides. Let's see how high the water level is. Oh, they're not too soaked. Yeah. Fine. You know what I mean? But with a coaster, you can watch the faces of the people stepping out of the car and kind of get a preview of what you're in for. And people come off, like, with their hair standing on end, their face red, and they're walking funny. And, like, I mean, it is, if you are in the least bit nervous about getting on a coaster, Top Thrill Dragster is not the best experience to prepare you for a coaster because you stand right under it for an hour. Yep. And the closer you, you get, see the it. worse it gets.
2: Yeah. You see it. You see it in action. You hear it. You see the people, as you said, before and after. Yeah. 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 And you feel it. It's all the senses. Yeah, sure. Sure. Like we talked about earlier. I'm assuming that that next time you went to go on it where you actually did go on it for the first time, you were pretty scared there, right?
3: I was pretty scared. But um, so I went with I won't say his name because he'd kill me for telling this story. Um, (laughs) I went with a buddy of mine who is tall and thick. We'll say that. And we got to we, we got we psyched ourselves up and we got there and he had never been he had never been on the coaster either so we were like we're gonna do it we're gonna do it we're gonna do it he had recently lost a bunch of weight and stuff so he was like excited to be able to actually get on this coaster oh and we nice get, we get there and he's struggling with the restraint it's not wanting to lock over him and I'm like oh god my friend is like just gone through all this and finally he gets it to lock and he goes don't see a f- because <laughs> he got like one, like one lock like it locked and he was like don't let them come push on this thing don't let them touch it like I'm doing this and uh and then we went and we had a great time of course and and you know it came off with that buzz you feel after that ride it's amazing it is worth however long the wait is but man it's daunting but um yeah there, there's a moment at the very top of that where you're like oh I think I might actually survive this <laughs> <laughs> you know? But it doesn't happen until you clear the top that the the first like two seconds of that ride are some of the most intense you'll ever experience. It's it's wild.
2: Yeah, it is. It's it's a big rush. I mean, it's it's uh, I do call those type of coasters. They're intimate accelerator coasters. They've got that catapult launch, super powerful. I call them one trick wonders and I don't mean to, I'm not trying to diminish them when I say that it's just it's that launch. It's going up that top hat and coming down. It's that kind of that altogether yeah. experience. So yeah, yeah. It's so, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if it was like Top Thrill Dragster followed by Millennium Force, like can you even imagine?
2: Oh, that and, and what's crazy is that <sighs> so it's theoretically possible I because out.
3: <laughs> I think it might be too much. The um, there
2: actually is sort of a ride like that that I've been on. So Intamin made Millennium Force and they made Top Thrill Dragster. The same company. They're my favorite coaster company. They made a Velocicoaster, by the way. Oh, as Millennium well.
3: Force is my favorite roller coaster ever. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice.
2: Yeah. So, Intamin, they, they uh, design and manufacture Velocicoaster, Hagrid's. I mean, a lot of great coasters. One of the ones they've designed is actually one of the few coasters in the world that's faster than mm-hmm. Thrill Dragster and even faster than King Dakar, New Jersey. It's the fastest coaster in the world. And I think, what, 130 some odd miles an hour uh, at a Formula? It's called Formula Rosa. In Abu Dhabi, in the United States. Oh, yes, Africa, I've America. seen this.
3: That is a wild yeah. coaster.
2: Yeah, and that one doesn't have a top hat. It doesn't go that high above the ground, but it has a much longer course, you know, with, with some airtime. It goes up and down hills, turns, and more like a conventional coaster. So it's sort of like a- Millennium a lot Force. A long
3: straightaways on it, too. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah a, lot, a lot. It's a much longer coaster. But, anyways, in any case, so you said you were still feeling some fear when you, that t- time you went with your
3: buddy. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. And okay. by, the, by the time I got there, I was psyched up and just more concerned. I actually think my friend struggling with the restraint distracted me enough to keep me in my seat. Oh, OK. <laughs> Cause, OK. Cause I got I got in and and locked myself in and then started paying attention to him. So it worked out. <laughs> OK. OK. Makes sense out, that distraction.
2: Gotcha. So before that, though, because you're going through the queue, just give us a sense of what the fear was like, what you, what you were thinking, what were you feeling?
3: Honestly, I was uh, I was making the biggest mistake you could make in a, a, a queue for an attraction like that. I think I was googling accidents that had happened on it, the oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I learned what a rollback was, and that I was in rollback season, and I was like, this sucks. I don't want to get on this. Um, yeah, so I, I was not helping myself actually. Yeah. Okay, you were almost nowadays, psyching I yourself out. I, nowadays, I don't think I would approach it that. Yeah. <laughs> way.
2: That's interesting. That's like, it's an interesting phenomenon, psychologically speaking, though. For example, at the beginning of this pandemic that we're, looks like hopefully we're in the twilight of now, finally. But at the beginning of it, people were watching, you know, these these virus-based movies that are all about viruses that knock out the whole population of the planet. And it's just like, they're getting themselves like basically absorbed into the fear yeah, of what hand. could happen. Yeah,
3: we, we did that very early on too. Yeah. And I watched one cr- of those. <laughs>
2: or yeah, watching plane movies. Not the plane for education, movie. but
3: just for entertainment like um like that let's let's see what they think this would be like because right now it looks like a lot of takeout you know
2: right right yeah right or people that watch you know a terrorist attack plane-based Paris attack or plane crash movie when they're on a plane you know it, it'd be kind of funny how people do things but so you know in a way you're you're doing sort of that typical thing with people kind of almost immersing yourself into oh gosh what could go wrong here i'm about to do this but and what's funny is you mentioned rollbacks us coaster enthusiasts, one of the most cherished and sought after unique experiences that we can't get just by going on a ride after again and again, because it's a normal experience. But one of those kind of alternate experiences that only happens every once in a while is a rollback oh, on a ride like vomit. that. <laughs> no. I would love to have
3: experience nope. like nope. that. <laughs> mm. Nope. So, not on that yeah, one. not for... <laughs> I don't everybody. trust it. I don't trust it. I don't like I. How do I know those reverse breaks have been looked at in a while if this doesn't right. happen, but once a year. Right. Mm, nope.
2: No, that's a good point. That's logic. I'll right die there. forward.
3: Thank you very much. <laughs> So you had
2: that fear and you were, you know, looking at, oh God, this could happen. That can happen. I don't want that to happen. And then you were later on distracted right after, or right before boarding and while you were boarding because of your friend's issues. And then you actually got and wrote it. So you conquered your fear. You were distracted later on, wrote it, talked to us. You already kind of said a little bit, but talk to us about how you felt right after getting off the ride.
3: Just relieved. I felt like I, I felt like I could do anything. I knew it was one of the biggest roller coasters in the world. And I was like, if I can do this one, then everything else will be down lit literally downhill from there so um yeah so i just just felt like i could conquer anything and now i'm not really afraid of any coasters anymore so it's cool
2: nice nice so that's that's awesome and that's generally what we see with our guests where we kind of talk through this part of of the interview which is this is kind of the one section of the interview that we typically do with all of our guests where if they have that that coaster that scares them the most and this is the first time we've had top full dragster other interviews it's been uh have you been to Magic Mountain Corey Because they in California.
3: I haven't been to Magic Mountain. I've been to Six Flags Discovery Kingdom and, and Great America, but I haven't been to Magic Mountain. Okay.
2: Okay. Yeah. So at, Ma- at Magic Mountain, there's a coaster that you should try because it's wild. Uh one of those trips you're maybe down there for a Disney trip. You have some free time. It's called X or X2 is what the name of it is now. And it's pretty much one of the most feared coasters on the planet. Not because of the height or the speed or that cre- you know, that crazy top hat that, that Top extra has. It's because of how forceful it is and the fact that the cars can rotate forwards and backwards, which is hard to explain, you know, in an audio form here. But if you if you Google it and look it up, you'll see the the videos of it. But we had several of our listeners and so you're our, our guests. Swooshes are yeah.
3: also swishes, is what you're saying.
2: Yeah, yeah <laughs> cool. think of it that way. Think of it that way. So uh, myself, as well as several of our guests that we've had on, have that as their most feared attraction. But Topple Jackster. It's actually about time someone came on and mentioned that one because I know that's a big one for most people, for a lot of people. that, they, oh a my god, for a god lot that scared of them. in yeah. the middle of the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean it is it's yeah. the
3: tallest coaster in that region for sure, and it's uh, oh yeah, yeah. So if you've ever driven to Cedar Point from the Cleveland area, like you see that long before you get to Cedar Point.
0: <laughs> like, yeah,
3: it's,
2: it's
0: waiting yeah.
3: for you all
2: day. It looms right at the end of the peninsula there. Basically, yeah, that's a good point. It's very foreboding. So you were able to conquer your fear and to the point where no coaster really has scared you like that since you kind of kind of conquered coasters with that one.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I'm, I, don't think there's any coaster that I wouldn't ride. I'm nice. not interested That's... in skydiving or bungee jumping, but yeah, coasters I'm pretty cool with.
2: Nice. OK, so obviously your experience on Topple Dragster you had a positive experience, no rollbacks So you. Conquered coasters, you're able to do coasters, maybe not skydiving and whatnot. Besides what you just mentioned and the fact that you know now you can go on any coaster and you know you're excited to go on Velocicoaster, coaster, which is a very intense coaster by the way. But you know you're, I guess you're you're not scared of it because you know you've like you've done some crazy stuff already. If that makes sense. Is there I'm any other way? Really
3: crazy, but. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, based on what I know of you, that, that actually yeah. makes a little sense.
3: <laughs> There's, have you ever heard the Have you heard ever heard the phrase "What would you do if you knew you could not fail"? That part I think of that so. Brain yeah, is broken. I have no fear of failure, so I think that's. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe Top Thrill Dragster broke that. I don't know, but I don't think I found that. I don't think I, I got rid of my fear of failure until much later.
2: Well, actually, not having a fear of failure is very valuable.
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, to kind of get it serious here, <laughs> can also be really <laughs> true. True, I mean. To get a little serious here, and I think I've kind of shared with you, Corey, besides talking about fun attractions and theme parks and all that and coasters on this podcast, one of the things we really try to dig into is how theme parks and and coasters and these high thrill experiences, these, these fearful experiences, by people having positive experiences and conquering them, like we're just talking about with you conquering powerful dragster, can better people's lives, can help them to conquer fear in other areas and conquer mental illness and you know depression, anxiety, even even help with physical ailments as well. We've we've seen evidence of that. You know, if if you can conquer a coaster and that maybe but later on, maybe not right then and there, was contributory to you not being afraid of failure, where you're going to take risks in life accordingly, that's outstanding. I, I
3: that's think right. I, I agree with your analogy. I think that there is something I, I remember even as think about it when you're a kid, right? And you're too short to get on all the, the big the big person rides, right? And you finally reach that milestone, that 42 inches, that 46 inches where you can start getting on uh, 52 in some cases, <laughs> getting on actual roller coasters, <laughs> you know, you, the, 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 the big big boy coasters. You know, it's it's a big deal. And I think that it, it it's kind of that. It's kind of like you feel like, OK, I've now reached a place where I can do this thing physically and I'm told it's safe, but it's still scary. But also that guy's doing it and he's fine. That guy's doing it and he's fine. That guy's doing it and he's fine. Now, it doesn't mean go jump off a cliff. The key to all of that is that the people are fine. But like at a certain point, yeah, you do have to look at something dangerous and go, that is scary as hell. But I, I think I'm going to be okay. And then just do it. Like, I don't know. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I do agree with that analogy. And I, I think you can apply that to a lot of areas in life. One of my favorite things to say lately is quit your job, do the thing. Like, why not? Right. Like, do it. Seriously, just do it.
2: Right. If you're not, especially if you're not happy to you know, try something else, take
3: Take a risk wake up you know, tomorrow. Yeah. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> like, you right, know, right. Your life's with not over. Your decisions. So start making them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your life's not over just because you, you do that. Absolutely. For sure. And when so, you mess up, so, I hate
3: to break it to you, but you're still going to wake up the next day and have to deal with it. So just yeah, make those mistakes. Do it.
2: Very true. Very true. You know, obviously later on, you were able to sort of develop this, this almost this skill of, okay, I'm not going to be afraid of failure. I might fail at this. And again, that's a very valuable skill. But is there anything else that you can think of that, you know, conquering Top Thrill Dragster helped you either directly or indirectly.
3: Andrew, if I'm being honest with you, I actually haven't thought about Top Thrill Dragster in like a decade. So it's just really cool to share this story with you again. But no, I, I sure. haven't given a lot of thought about uh, about that particular moment. But parks in general, which is the thing that drove me to Top Thrill Dragster, to be clear, or it was it was Cedar Point. It was not Top Thrill Dragster that got me to the lovely burb of Sandusky, Ohio. You know, it was my love of parks and wanting to see a different park. So I mean, truthfully, it, the. Big To this, the biggest takeaway that I found is not necessarily related to the thrill of the parks, but it's their very existence. It's the fact that, I mean, I go back to Walt uh, because I am a themed entertainment fan more, more so than a coaster fan. I mean, the amount of times in Walt's life that he was told he was crazy completely out of his mind will not work this is outrageous and every and yes he had many failures along the way don't get it twisted walt was bankrupt for a long time in fact i think he may have had money troubles more than he had good money in the course of his life but He left an imprint on the world. He created, through all of that, he went, you know what, fine, I'll just do it myself. And he did. A lot of people that do that are usually ignoring good advice. He was ignoring bad advice. He did it because he believed in it. And so I approach everything I do in my life that way. I recently left a a, a well-paying commercial radio career after 20 years because I just got tired of doing it. I I didn't feel like it was serving uh, me as a human being anymore. I felt like I was working for advertisers and not for my community. Um, And that's not to trash commercial radio. This is my my battle with commercial radio this isn't a a reflection on them but like it just like i don't know I, i have gotten to a place now where i feel like if if that guy could do it all those years ago and really believe enough and truthfully his belief in his ideas is why they worked if if you don't believe in your own ideas no one will so i just like i never turned down an idea when I, I have notepads like everywhere in my studio here. Like I'm constantly jotting down ideas. And yeah, so I think I think the, the very existence of a place where you can go physically experience entertainment, not just watch it, not just hear it, not just the combination of the two that we're used to, but actually go feel it. And if you still have an imagination, if you haven't given that up, like suspend disbelief and you can be anything too. You can be a pirate. You know, it's cool. I yeah, I I think the very existence of the parks inspires me more so than the things. Because if you look at a theme park as a whole, right, especially Cedar Point, let's use Cedar Point as an example, you could actually probably spend the entire day ramping up the intensity one coaster at a time as you go through that park. There's a little something for everybody, but there's that big one. There's that big one. And it took me two visits to do it, but I did Mm -hmm. it. You know, and so I I think that's that's a great approach in life. Like even if you even if you fail the first time, it's fine. That that challenge will still be there tomorrow. Try again. Right. I mean, there
2: is really so much to your to your credit there when you said about theme parks. That's that's very powerful. It's not just you know the coasters. And and while yes, we're a coaster we call the coaster challenge podcast, and, and David and myself, and I have our other producer. We're all big coaster fans. You know, we're also big theme park fans. You know, speaking for myself just for the moment. You know, I talked about Universal earlier. I love Universal so much because it's got every Thing. It's got some of those big coasters, but it's got incredible themed entertainment, and themed lands, and immersion, and you know, like riding the movies, as they say. You know, I love—I'm a big movie guy. I love movies, and you know, Transformers and and Mummy and all these great, great movie franchises. Now Jurassic Park, Jurassic World with the new coaster, Harry wow. Potter, all this stuff. Yeah, Kong. Oh yeah, J- uh, Jaws. I miss Jaws so much. Although Diagon Alley is amazing, but um, yeah, it's just so much immersion and so much that you can do to to kind of stimulate your your all your senses, like, you said earlier, and your mind is collectively with all your senses and also a healthy escape. Uh, We talk a lot about that with, with our guests, you know, again, especially battling depression, anxiety, theme parks are an incredible escape in that regard. But I love that, you know, with all that you've studied Walt and you've, you've studied him a lot, obviously, given how you've covered him on your, on your channel, on your podcast that, you know, he inspired you to take a leap of faith with most recently in your career, because, you know, I know I, I never lived in Sacramento. I've only been there, I think, once or twice in my life. But I know because I, I know you that that you know you were a, su- a huge success in what you were doing as a DJ. You were the what the number one drive time yeah, show yeah, DJ um,
3: up until the up until COVID, which caused it to dip right at the end. But up until COVID, um, I was I was number one in my demographic and in my day part. Yeah, the the whole five years I was there. But I it's hard to describe being really really good at something and not having. Your your heart in it at the same time right um, right
2: just because you're good at something doesn't mean your heart is in it yeah yeah, yeah. And,
3: it, and it had even it, i had even had and I, it's funny i lived on this this statement for a year before i actually turned in notice but a program director friend of mine who I, i'll also leave nameless although i think he'd appreciate this shout out i told him that i was starting to feel burnout and not enjoying my work and he goes he goes well um, you're the number one drive drive time show in the market buy yourself some happiness with your bonus check that was what he said to me and he he meant it in the most loving way like yeah dude you're under contract make the most of it and i get what he i get what he was trying to say like you know he was saying don't don't blow up your career because you're bored make your money and get out which is cool and that's what i did <laughs> but like um <laughs> but it, it that was the kind of mentality i had for a long time was that i was just like well yeah i mean there's always later and then i finally just decided that um later was now and i actually decided to quit my job before the pandemic hit i gave a year's notice and about six months later COVID popped up all the the hours that i was hoping to have in san francisco d- dried up <laughs> and so i kind of moved here to nothing for a while <laughs> but um i just yeah i believe you should always you should always uh take the risk when you can and it's life is just way too short i hope COVID's proven that to a lot of people like if not now when
2: yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the things that I keep hearing, and I've said it myself, you know, numerous times over the past year plus during this pandemic, is one of the things we've really learned collectively as a, as a species uh, is what we were taking for granted, what we have been taking for granted. It's one thing for, you know, say, you know, us living theme parks, for a theme park to be closed for a day after, for example, 9 11, which is the last time that we really experienced that, at least in California with Disney, for example. Disneyland, for example, being closed for more than a year. More than a year. Uh,
3: it's insane. Um, I- I never thought we'd live to see it. I, I have, I've often, I've often like imagined a dystopian world where Walt Disney World and Disneyland have to close for some reason and go away and right. are left to rot, and it terrifies me. <laughs> like I don't yeah. want to be a part of that future. <laughs> so, like, yeah, let's let's keep these things alive while we're still here, and then yeah, and in fact,
2: it. yeah, in, in a way. <laughs> In a way, this was sort of like a big warning for all of us, and again, collectively as a, as a human race, that you know it could have this could have been dystopian. In other words, Disney World could have stayed closed, Disneyland could still be closed forever. You know, God forbid, you know, a terrorist attack or something. You know, far worse. Yeah. You know, global war. And luckily, we we had our we had our moment here, where it's like, hey, this could happen. This is what it's like to not have these things. Okay, here, you're going to have the getting them back slowly but surely, carefully, because of the nature of the pandemic. Always keep in mind what you could lose. And hopefully we'll come out of that here in the twilight of this pandemic, coming out of this pandemic, where we'll all be a little bit better off because we all, we have been smacked in the face with a reminder of what we could lose.
3: Yeah, I think I'm so. just appreciating life in general more these days. I'm appreciating the, I'm actually really appreciating, uh, it's ta- it's taking a little longer in San Francisco, but um, people are beginning to walk around outside with their masks off. Um, I'm trying to, because all the guidance here is take your mask off outside, but people are still a little little scared, which I understand. But I'm kind of starting to put mine below my chin when I'm not near people and just <laughs> like smiling at people again and little things like that. And it's just, it's nice. Life's, life's starting to feel, feel normal again but i'm definitely going to hug all the people this year like <laughs> you know nice a year I love a year it. without a plethora of hugs i don't want to experience that ever again
2: yeah that's it, it can actually you know it, you know you think about a, a single hug may not be the biggest thing in the world but it can have a big impact but not having that closeness when like people like yourself and I were very, we, you know, we love hugging people, we're not we're not standoffish and you know, yeah, and it's it's yeah, yeah, we're social, exactly. And I mean, granted, I've been fortunate here in Florida, living here in Florida, with granted things were different than California. In terms of things opening up more quickly. And, you know, I've been able to eat at restaurants and all that, but still, I've been careful. I've been wearing my mask. I'm always wearing my mask at Universal. I'm not one of those people that they have to, team members (laughs) have to remind. I'm not that guy or that guy that you guys talk about in the eighth floor for, you know, things like that. I'm a good theme park goer and not a passhole.
3: And I I appreciate everything. I'm trying to pull the the Andrew (laughs) bit out of (laughs)
2: there. I love it. So yeah, and you know, again, it's that not taking things for granted, appreciating it, but uh, you know, hopefully we'll continue to go back to normal, so like surely, but anyway, so back to our discussion here. So there's a kind of a couple more things I want to talk about kind of related to that theme park time machine. And then I want to uh, get into the kind of the last segment, which I'm actually the most looking forward to here because of your, your background and your, your uh, storytelling abilities and whatnot. So before we get to that though, thinking about all the theme parks you've been to, amusement parks like Cedar Point theme parks, you know, Disney, Universal, et cetera, wherever you've been, what has been the craziest moment you ever had on an attraction? Maybe where something didn't go well the way it was supposed to, or a guest that would, you know, nearby to you did something that was like, wow, you know, it's anything like that for you? Any stories?
3: Yeah. The one that come. there's several, because I've been going to the parks for almost four decades now. So, okay, maybe three, let me not age myself. Three decades. Um, <laughs> No, but like um I remember one and it was just like I was so tired that I didn't complain but it was bad. It was a skipper on the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland one night who just it was late, probably one of the last cruises of the night and dude just decided to hijack the spiel and just do whatever he wanted. Um, wow, which was also not funny, unfortunately. <laughs> and I still remember it was so bad and maybe I don't know, maybe you guys will appreciate the tech humor, I don't know. But basically he would tell a part of the story of the jungle cruise and then he would start speaking in binary oh blah 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 one zero zero one zero one zero, zero, one zero zero one zero one and then he would just stop and we're all like what the yeah so um yeah so that was the and he did that the entire attraction with zero irony and it was the most disturbing thing i've ever dealt with on but i think we were all just silent by the end of it we were all just like So I like to assume that he was like a CP kid on his last night, you know? Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah, that was just bad. Yeah. So there, yeah, that one I've experienced breaking down in a really dark corner of the Indiana Jones show building only to realize that it's a very unfinished dark corner. And there was like a mop bucket sitting next to us. (laughs) Just like, it's a scene you flip through really fast in the dark. So it's just like. Just crap <laughs> piled up in that scene. I'm like, oh, that's that's literally a shelf with is that paint? What is that? Yeah, it was just right there in a the scene. So yeah, a few of those. Getting to walk off of Monsters Incorporated at Disney California Adventure was kind of fun too.
2: Interesting. Interesting. Those are all unique experiences. You know, the Jungle Cruise one, it makes me think of uh, some stories that I've heard. So I'm assuming, Corey, that you're familiar with Mice Chat, Dusty Sage's yes. channel. And yeah. So I've met Dusty, a good guy. I'm living in Southern California for years. because uh, Mice Chat's very much Disneyland-focused, Don'tsbury Farm, you know, the whole LA area, Universal Hollywood as well. I've done a few Mice Chat events, and Dusty always puts on amazing events. And one of my favorites, I've done this twice now, is the Gumball Rally. You familiar with the Gumball Rally? No. Oh, okay, I get. Okay, I got to tell you about this real quick because you're going to want to do this. Hopefully, you will resume it next year. So it's an annual event, and it's basically a Disneyland scavenger hunt. And the way it works is you get... You form teams and you do this in advance. You have to sign up in advance. There's a you know nominal fee you have to pay. And it's teams of anywhere from like two to six people. And you all show up there in the morning. Actually, usually it's the Anaheim Hotel right across the street, across Arbor from Disneyland everyone gets their packets. And these packets, what they are is a list of questions. And there's one question per attraction. And usually most of the attractions that, at Disney are represented. And the way it usually works is there's a, a part A and a part B. So you'll get a packet for the beginning of the day, which will either be for Disneyland or California Adventure. And then later on in the day, you'll hand in your packet and get the one for the other park. It's a very long theme park day. Anyway, these questions, give you an example. For Space Mountain, last time I did it, the question was, how many left turns does Space Mountain make during the ride? Okay? Now, the point of these questions are that in order to answer them, you can know Disneyland like nobody's business. You have to ride that ride, you have to go do that show, that attraction, whatever it yeah. is, and count it or notice, you know, the, the color of one of the crashed sky buckets on uh Matterhorn that was another question remember from that year these things are coming back to me so it's, it's like a scavenger hunt trivia contest and the scavenger hunt portion is because you have to get on the rides and do them and the idea is you have to whoever answers the most questions correctly by the end of the day at 7 p.m whenever it is that things are over they win the big gumball
3: rally trophy it's a really I would impressive crush trophy this I would destroy <laughs> this <laughs>
2: I know you're very competitive you love your games like man, i'm a I journalist man yeah. don't send a researcher
3: yeah. to do a researcher's job like <laughs> come on so they
2: have they have people that monitor this throughout the parks and for example you can't use fastpass Of fast passes doesn't exist now anyway but you can't you know you can't use fastpass you're not supposed to have your phone out and there are people that are watching and it's very serious and it's fun and i did it with my friend yaz this was the two of us last time and we had so much fun we did pretty well we didn't Get number one. We were in like the top 20 or something like that. But it's just so cool. Anyway, that's one thing 22. that my job. Chef... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, this last time that when my friend Yaz and I, we did this, it was on a, it's usually on a Saturday, at the gumball rally. The night before Friday night, Dusty put together, a, it was something like, it was called the An Enchanted Evening of Disney or something like that. It was, you know, there was a, cash bar with drinks and some appetizers and basically a panel of several panels of presentations. One of them was all of these retired jungle cruise skippers. And they had them up on a stage and they were being asked questions and they were basically telling these stories. These are guys that did it, you know, in the seventies and eighties and, you know, even the sixties, you know, when it was first open talking about these crazy things that happened on that ride. For example, you know how they have a gun on the, on the boat, on each boat, there have been real guns as part of the jungle cruise, not intentionally. They've wound up on the no one's ever gotten you mean heard. Real, bullet. real, real bullets. I should say. Yes. Yeah. Excuse me. Not blanks. Thank you. Uh, and just all the crazy spiel stories. Not, not, I've never heard one quite like yours, but just where they go off the rails. Cause it's a very, it's a ride where people can be creative if they want to. It's not a programmed re- pre-recorded thing.
3: Well, and it's also a ride where it's very easy for them to know if their manager's on board. Right. Like Right. Uh, they know. there, there yeah. are a couple of spots from shore where there are backstage areas where someone could be eavesdropping, but for the most part, when you're out on the water, no one can hear what you say. And they, I don't think they record what the, the the skippers are saying or anything. So like it's like they they can they truly can get away with it for most right? of the ride if no one rats them out
2: <laughs> yeah the only thing i would say because uh, i know this from personal experience i've done mystery shopping you know here and there in my life just to you know that have some fun earn some so extra bucks. fun you know, it you should you should check it out because you're yeah. very detail oriented and i actually did a mystery shop once for a company that was it was for disney years oh, I ago i love to like, mystery shop at disney and i'd be brutal, yeah jump <laughs> I remember one of the, one of the parts of that because one of the, it's it's you know, you do a nice meal as part of the whole day of the mystery shop and uh, I was at the uh, Trotteria that in uh, in California Adventure you know the Italian restaurant that I got that got to eat there for free which was amazing but and I don't believe I think everything was in California Adventure for that mystery shop that I did but if there's one attraction at Disney that needs to be mystery shop is is Jungle Cruise because there's so much that's not programmed it's you know it's up to the cast members so uh, yeah anyway interesting story or thanks for sharing as much that. as
3: I hate <laughs> <laughs> advocate for more surveillance maybe they need you know to a way that they can tap in and and keep an eye on what what's going yeah. on randomly you know
2: yeah and then when i was at uh, that you know enchanted evening of disney for mice Chat, one of the things they talked about is how the spiel and how the you know what was allowable and expected over the years you know how it changed you know with with society and you know and walt he was very involved early on and he would time how long the ride was, you know, cause they stop at certain points and you know, if it was too short, you got upset and you know, you've got, you, Hey, you guys got to get more banter and you got to tell more jokes and you know, stuff like that. So it's very interesting attraction, how unique it is. So, and the other, the other story you mentioned, the, um, Indiana Jones. It's you know it's always kind of unique and, and fun in a way when we when the facade disappears away when you see a mop bucket. But at the same time, it's like it kind of also is it's disappointing when that magic disappears momentarily. But it's kind of a it's give a section take.
3: of indie that I've long. It's it I don't know you've been on indie right? The oh movie. yeah, many times. So yeah. it's on it's on the scene with the occasionally working mist projection of rats that like dark, uh, premiere, right when you leave the temple, which I think has been acknowledged as uh, we kind of ran out of money and so we didn't right. do anything with this corner. Right. Except make it yeah. dark and some loud music and rats that occasionally work. So like it was in a really weird corner of the building, but it just it seemed I mean I expected the walls painted black and things like that and that's what you expect, but like I didn't expect that it would be that. I don't know. I feel like a, that, there was a door right there. That couldn't have been put behind that door. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that needed to be that needed to be out here on stage for some reason. So, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that totally
2: makes sense. And yeah, I remember, yeah, of course, you know a lot about Indy because you, you and Adam, for one of the very early episodes of Unpacked, Unpacked Indiana Jones, as a recall. Yeah. yeah, that was a fun episode. Yeah. Okay, so a couple more questions. So that was kind of some good crazy experiences there. What would you say... And again, any park in the world that you've been to, what is your favorite attraction of all time? Your most favorite attraction?
3: I have a couple for different reasons, but if I have to pick like an overall, um, I would go with Disneyland's Pirates of the Caribbean. Interesting. It was, Interesting. it was the culmination of Walt's career personally as uh, a, a creator of themed entertainment. It was the last attraction he laid hands on. So it's uh, it's the finale. So it's cool. Yeah.
2: Right, it's a lasting memory of him and it's it's almost like honoring him because that was his last attraction. Yeah, I totally get it. And Pirates, you know, I've been on Pirates, of course, here in Florida, Disneyland. The Pirates in Disneyland is one of, not a long list for me personally, but one of only a few attractions where I feel the Disneyland version is better by far.
3: By far. I I have the unpopular opinion that um, Walt Disney World needs to torpedo their version and put Shanghai's version in there.
2: Oh, having been on Shanghai's version... I would love that because I think Floridians amazing. would yeah. pitch
3: a fit, but they would eventually get over it. But I firmly as firmly as I say that I firmly say that the one with the exception of uh, sensitivity updates, the one in California should never be touched.
2: Right, and And of course, with Blue Bayou,
3: yeah, it needs to stay, yeah, yeah, just kind of the it as what it is—the final example of Walt's work. I agree, because I don't think Walt stuff's gonna stay forever. I don't think that we're gonna, I don't think that we're gonna have a carousel of progress forever. I don't think that we're gonna have some stuff forever. Even there's gonna come a day when it's a small world may not be there. Like there's gonna come a day when all of this stuff becomes passé to a degree. It may not be in our lifetime, but it will happen. But yeah, I think that I, I don't know. I think there's something special about that attraction and that. Location in that building, which has an apartment that was built for Walt that he never got to live in, like th- that oh, that's that that right. particular yeah. building, that particular attraction is just really special. I think it should be on probably on the marker of historic places. But yeah, yeah no, I agree. honestly, but then you can't build anything in it. So. <laughs> right, right,
2: yeah, And yeah, no, and that can't happen. Even Walt himself said, you know, things are yeah. constantly in, in yeah. flux, and nothing's ever finished. But, but yeah, no, Pirates is very special, and you know, Blue Bayou is my favorite Disney restaurant. at, at All the parks I've been to, I've, I've been to all of now. But, and now with um, alcohol. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's <laughs> awesome. I, I can only imagine what, I love Louisiana lemonade. That's like kind of that special non-alcohol drink they have there. With that, with some alcohol in it, that would be incredible.
3: Yeah, the only thing better than the glowing ice cube is the shot of liquor that you can put in it now. There you I go. I, mean. I have so
2: many of those cubes too. It's crazy. So yeah, so that's a great favorite attraction. So historic and that's I love always you, a must-do You say do that me. after
3: every answer and I'm like, oh good, I'm so glad he liked my answer. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, that's a terrible, terrible Favorite attraction, Corey. Let's move on.
2: Well, Corey, if you had said I that disagree Monster, with you
3: strongly. Let's move on. If you had said that
2: Monsters Inc. is your favorite attraction, we would have had words. Yeah,
3: okay. All right, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> oh, can't so, argue with that logic. So.
2: <laughs> So speaking of favorites and maybe some not so favorites, maybe I just named it. I don't know. But what would you say is your least favorite attraction anywhere?
3: Oh goodness! So let's go for attraction I would tear down tomorrow. Yes. Um, sure. Gosh, I'm scanning parks. I'm starting with Florida because Disneyland's really special to my heart. But let's see. I would probably, oh my gosh! Because here's the thing: Disney has actually, to their credit, torn down a lot of the crap that needed to be torn down over the last couple of years. M- most of my answer would have been Epcot, but that, <laughs> but all that under, <laughs> under, under yeah, innovations In- 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 East and West would have been a good answer. But let's go with attraction. I would tear down right now would be the because it's obvious that it's never going to be restored. The remain remaining bones of Disneyland's People Mover. I would I would, right. I would like to see that removed. Immediately. That sure, because it's a it's, former attraction, but it's unlike Disney to leave a former attraction out in the open.
2: Yeah. I, I, first of all, I agree with you because it, it I, I wish they would restore it, but it's, and never it's not that. it's not that, it's
3: the old Carousel of Progress building, which is also okay. an old attraction. So the Star Wars launch bay that's in that building. There we go. <laughs> okay. So basically, or the Autopia. No, I, just could we just tear down Disneyland's Tomorrowland, save for Space Mountain, and start over? That's where I'm at.
2: Well, so, so Corey, along those lines,
3: I, mm-hmm. I, couldn't agree with you more because it's getting looking very dated. And Autopia, come
2: on, gas-powered vehicles and, and in places supposed will be about the future. It's like, yeah. that doesn't... We know. are in the yeah.
3: state that has Tesla. Right. And we have, like, I love Bob Gerr to death, but we have gas-powered go-karts that were designed by Bob Gerr 55 years ago. You know what I mean? Like... A, right.
2: Right. Well, as you know, Corey, I'm a huge fan of technology and EVs. I, I just got my second Tesla. I love it. I'm not a lie. And I've actually... You know, everyone, Elon, he tweets and people tweet to him. I've tweeted to Tesla, to Elon, say, hey, why don't you talk to Disney? Maybe you can sponsor something. Let's put together some electric little Tesla go-karts and change Autopia and
3: make it future ready again. See, Universal man. just needs to jump on that, Then, Like Universal seems like they would build like the Elon Musk raceway. Or something totally, totally Tesla cars. But theirs would be like it would be like the Mario Kart version, like it would be indoors and themed and dope. Yeah, I support that. Build, yeah, for sure. Where do we write? Nice.
2: So your least favorite attractions are, are you know, vestiges of, of existing attractions that have not been fully taken out yeah, just, or just even things that are still there. A billion dollar right.
3: company. Right. Like, I'm sorry. Don't tell me you can't do anything about it. Right. Right. And, uh, Autopia, and, and by the way, I, well, we need flow and we need to move a lot of people through here. No, the crowd flow <laughs> issue is also one you created, Disney. Right. For two things. One, keeping your capacity too high. And one, this is where I'm going to make some enemies, keeping your park tickets too low. That's why you right. run into this. Right. It, you've made Disneyland something. Something that someone, and I I say this as someone with very limited income right now, as someone with a limited income, I can still afford to go to Disney several times a year. Right. Whereas growing up, and I realized things were different and finances were different and opportunities were different and the world was different. But when I was growing up, it was, we had, when we didn't have APs, like when we weren't in that period of 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 what's the word I'm looking for of of, of having money that period of of success it was right that was, that was not a thing that we that, that most people did like you, that was once a year maybe if not a couple of times during your childhood Jack from our podcast grew up going to the parks once every other year as a kid right and it's something that used to be special and now for many it's as common as the mall and right. I think that that's part of the issue is go watch a David Copperfield special, right? The first time you watch it, it's mind blowing. The second time you watch it, you start to figure out what he's doing. You start to see the camera tricks. You start to catch on because the magic is not, it doesn't impact you if you see it every day. So, I mean, I personally, I, I support reservation systems. I support, um, I support not ridiculous, but I support increase in increases in pricing to make up for the lower crowds and I support keeping the crowd levels low because it's It's going to return. It's going to make the the experience more expensive, but it's going to make the experience worth the money because I can go and not have to book seven. Can I curse on this podcast? Well, we'll bleep it out if we have to. It's fine. It's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to have to book 17 f-ing fast passes before I go to Walt Disney World. I, I right. don't, that's right. not, that is granted the, to the organizer brains and us. That's fun, but that's the mentality of someone that goes all the time. That's not the mentality right. of, of the person driving in from New Jersey with their family to go to the parks. And I right. think that, that to me, and I realize there's some nostalgia to what I'm saying, but there was a time when going to the parks was a really special occasion and it's become right. less so and I think that is the part that is Disney's fault so yes if you if you treated your product, if it, first of all if you treated your product as as valuable you could charge more for it so like right. you know like if, if, if we didn't have to deal with things like watching attractions being torn down over the course of three weeks or you know watching the people mover sit there and rot for literally 30 years since Eisner you know what I mean like right. Right. these are corners that Walt would not have allowed to have been cut I had a spicy take recently that I don't think future world should be open right now right no, i don't right i think i, I think agree they should have shut yeah. down the or at the very least they should have shut down the front gate spaceship earth and the entire center kept the wings kept world showcase and that's it but that it's just it's pathetic what, what they're doing now, yeah. and, it's just, I, it's, I, and this is not to trash Disney, because Disney's doing some really cool stuff, but Disney's also forced with this critical mass of crowds and trying to satisfy people. And I think Walt was really good at realizing that you can't satisfy everybody. Right. Um, and just to do what was the right thing and what felt right, and hope it worked, and it worked. And I, I don't know, I just hope Disney gets out of the trying to please everybody thing, because I'm tired of walking through construction walls. Like, yeah. bring back the magic, do create something. Like, uh, Epcot, close the whole front of the park Park and then surprise me. Maybe get. Maybe you'll actually get an attraction open without people knowing about it. You know what I mean? Like, imagine if they right. shut down the front of the park and then built that Guardian Show Building and not told us what it was. Can you imagine the internet? Right. Right. And build yeah, twenty-story building that we don't know what's <laughs> going to be in it. Like that would have been ridiculous. And then Epcot would have been sold out for the first six months that it reopened. Right. You know what I mean, right. I, don't know. I just it seems it seems like Disney's gotten themselves into a lot of traps that they can do better with. That was that was a long way. Yeah. And I'm really sorry about that, Andrew. No. No, that no no
2: need to apologize. I know I one of the things I think that's awesome about you, I love about you, is your passion because I share it. You know, I, I will go off on rants. I've gone on a few rants on this or off on some rants on this podcast. And actually to that, to that point, um, during oh, our live episode last,
3: no, I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> during our live episode last week, uh, when I was talking a lot about VelociCoaster, that transitioned into after gonna go into the whole Velocicoaster thing, into an in-depth discussion of Universal and comparing Universal and Disney, and kind of like you and I talked about earlier about how Universal's firing on all, all cylinders compared to Disney. You know, you know, for example, Disney Universal are very different companies how they handle things. Disney, you know, D twenty three, which I've been to, you've been to, you know, or even other events, they will announce years in advance that we're going to do this and we're going to build this, and this is what's going to be all about. You know, whereas Universal, oh no, that's just a landscaping project. Oh no, it's a new churro stand. You know, all these jokes that have come out of this, but that's what happens. They deny something is happening. They don't announce it until they're ready to announce it, you know, and
3: until they have their ducks that. in a row. Where, whereas yeah. Disney and I've been, I, I sat in the room at D23, uh the parks and uh, parks and experiences or whatever, um, right? The the JPEG panel at this last D23, and it to me it always feels like here's what we're gonna do. Asterix, actually, this is a rendering, and it will look nothing like this by the time it gets to the park, <laughs> if it ever gets to the park. Right? I, yeah, I don't like that. I would much rather be surprised. I would love, yep. I, w- I would like, truly, I would love to be surprised. You know, it, it, I realize it's hard because construction projects there are going to involve thousands of people, whether you like it or not. And NDAs don't always work, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And it's very easy for me to have an NDA and call someone at Mice chat and go, Hey, don't say it was me, but blah, <laughs> over. you know what I mean? Right. So, right, like, right. Um, so it is really challenging, but I just feel like with, with it, I mean, I live in San Francisco, California, the Walt Disney world property is slightly larger than this city. Right. So, right. why can't you build something with your own government without me knowing about it? Right. Like, why right. can't you? Like, so I don't know. And, and, I, I, and, and the answer is the question is intentionally sarcastic. It's like, right. No, th- of course. Th- I don't know. I, I think if, you, if they're paying that much attention to the internet and to what people think about the parks, then they know that uh, a, a surprise is the only thing we haven't had in decades, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's disappointing. That's why I love how Universal does it, even with Epic Universe. You Can see the renderings, it's pretty obvious. Oh, Super Mario Land is going to be there, and, you know, Super Nintendo Land's there. And, and I Adder think the Disneyland Dragon.
3: took some notes on their Disneyland Forward um announcement. Yes, there, like agree. there's a very obvious Black Panther section, and there's, yes. there's some stuff in that rendering that's designed to make all the fanboys go insane. So, um, yes, good on, and good they're on not announcing, yeah, and they're not announcing everything yet too soon. So maybe
2: they're taking a, a patron from Disney from have Universal, have Universal there, Ro- Yeah, probably, yeah, next year. Is roughly, it a coincidence
3: yeah. that we've been on lockdown on all. D 23 years? No, no, I don't think it is.
2: <laughs> so, but going back to the, uh, the other main thing you mentioned earlier on your, in your rant, which I think is great, you know, great is yeah. You know, especially Disneyland with all of these, pass holders or a lot, of, a lot of them quite frankly pass holes um where they would be there every day i know a guy who was at disneyland every single day before the pandemic with his pass, except between christmas and new year's because he has what is it signature not signature plus whatever it was called and he told me he would get depressed for that week i'm like come on you're there every day it's just it, it it takes away from that uniqueness and that specialness like you were describing and
3: in the case yeah that, the ca- in the case that you're describing it became an addiction and not right um, right yeah. It's a, it's, it's a bad escape. thing.
2: Yeah. 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 It totally turns on its head. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there that things need to change. And, uh, you know, in talking about Autopia, you know, kind of pulling back to that beginning of that question I asked you about least favorite attraction. Um, I'm really good at is,
3: derailing you, Andrew. You're welcome.
2: I I'm, I'm good at getting back off of tangents and that's fine. Tangents <laughs> are what make things fun. So that's, that's fine. That's no worries. But yeah, Autopia is kind of that one attraction that's still there that you mentioned. So that's a good one to briefly talk about. And again, we talked about that and what could be done there. Well, I'll have you know, Corey, one thing that Disney does that Universal doesn't do as much, so to speak, is Disney will sometimes they'll buy or they'll plan for the same attraction in multiple parks. Again, Universal's done that a little bit with Harry Potter and whatnot. But when Disney was building Shanghai and, you know, leading up to 2016 and its opening, it is pretty much common knowledge now that Disney bought three of the Tron coasters. So three of the, the tracks, the set of trains, et cetera. We know the second one is obviously, yeah. We know the second one is going here in Magic Kingdom, which I'm excited to get
3: that. I want that third one to go. Well, rumors are that the third one is going to Disneyland. That would be wonderful because there's that beautiful spot where the old Carousel of Progress building and Autopia. Yep. And. Another unpopular opinion, Submarine Lagoon, that spot where all three of those are sitting yep. could easily be Tron light cycle. Yeah.
2: I see David shaking his head in the background here. Yes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I like
3: Submarine Voyage and I think it was wonderful for its time. I just think yep. it's time to rethink that area. Yep. It is. Yeah, totally. It's a fantasy totally land attraction now.
2: Yeah. I mean, especially Tomorrowland. I mean, Fantasyland is one thing because it can remain timeless. Tomorrowland cannot remain timeless. Future world, Epcot cannot remain timely. So, having been on Tron in Shanghai, it is my favorite Disney coaster on the planet. It's amazing. And everyone who's going to experience it here, whether it be in Florida or maybe Disneyland in a few years, you know, they'll understand when they finally ride it. So, I could see. Tron. Not, it's not just the enjoying the ride. It's the the beautiful shroud and all the different color changing LEDs. And it could be it used
3: ju- to really upgrade the. It could be yes. the, to to quote Walt Disney. It could very easily be the weenie of the new Tomorrowland. Like it could if if they place it back where Autopia is, and obviously Disneyland's Small, so it would have to be inside the tracks. And then the show building would probably have to be where Submarine Voyage is. So right, they, like they if they placed it correctly, and I'm certain that they can reconfigure it to a certain degree. If they place it correctly, like it is what draws you in now. Imagine that canopy down at the end yep. of Tomorrowland instead of a rotting people mover station being the weenie of Tomorrowland. Yep. I don't know.
2: Yep. And having been to, you know, all the Disney parks on the planet,
3: you know, I've been to various Tomorrowlands.
2: A little. Yeah. Well, no, I'm very, I'm very fortunate. All, all jokes aside of That's all your the travel name. that I've been able to do. Humble break.
3: Humble Humblebrack. So, break. but all. Well,
2: and it's usually been because of work, and I've just been able to like go to China two years ago for work, and I yeah I'm going to go to Shanghai of course you know so I'm very lucky and fortunate with my career in that regard I'm, and I do not take that for granted. But all the Tomorrowlands they kind of you know pretty similar, but then you have Tomorrowland Shanghai completely different. It's wide open. It feels so futuristic. It's beautiful. The lights, the music. It's a plaza you could
3: take the roller coaster out of and then drop in the middle of any city. Yes, yes, yes. So hopefully, I hope
2: that my, you know, one of my former home Disney parks, Disneyland, because I still love Disneyland. I look forward to visiting it again, hopefully soon when we can, not right now here from out of state. But, you know, I hope that Disneyland gets Get strong, it deserves strong. So okay. but um yeah, in any case, there was some good rants and some good some good discussions there. You know, we could go on for hours, but I'm I glad I do want to <laughs> <laughs> of course I do want to take some time here before we run out of time here in this interview to get into the kind of the last section, which again, as I said earlier, I'm really looking forward to with talking with you about. So we've already given some hints. You've talked about your uh, you know, you're being a storyteller. I described you that way and Again, being involved in creating this whole podcast, not even just a single podcast, but a whole podcast channel with multiple podcasts. So let's talk it. Let's talk about some of that stuff. Tell me about some of your favorite moments as a podcaster that where you've covered the theme park industry or maybe done an interview or, you know, t- talk about some of those favorite things, those stories that you've told.
3: So a little background to set it up. Um, I started, we started with the No Midnight podcast um, a little over four years ago. Uh, February was four years. And that was... You, pretty standard talk show format covering you know the the news of the day and uh, and and witty banter and silliness you know as as most podcasts begin as then we started um i started discovering a love for um kind of the npr family of, poly- of of podcasts things like throughline and radio lab This american life um, snap Judgment, um, podcasts that are really taking audio to a place it hasn't been taken to in a long time. And that is kind of out of the studio and into creating, I mean, truly making it theater of the mind again, really telling telling stories in a form that's very digestible. I, I call it Netflix for your ears. It's, it's really what podcasting is and has become. And so I really felt drawn to that. And as I started looking around our then very small group of podcasters, I realized that each of us had kind of something. Each of us had a, a bit of a gift that we could offer to telling that kind of stuff. I had the gift of the the radio background and uh, narration ability and... and engineering acumen and being able to like make sure we sound good and adam is a brilliant writer and jack brings a lot of great um kind of helps us to stay relevant and and you know get out of our you know all of the, the rest of us are like you know pushing pushing 40 and then we have jacket about to turn 21 keeping us all uh grounded and he's often grounded because of it but um no it just it, it just became we, we really just started loving to tell stories and we realized that at the core of everything that disney does and universal for that matter um and then if you zoom even further out at the core of every piece of media we consume is a story in one way, shape or form. So um, the, the storytelling really came naturally and Disney has a really rich history. So it started with us working on historical pieces, looking back at the parks. Um, one that stands out, I know uh, two of your favorites were uh, Walt and No Midnight Serial, which was, a uh, I think it was a seven part series that we did. It was like three hours of content by the done. it was wild. Um, and that was just a kind of a, a really long version of an explainer about Walt, a uh, very documentary style. Then we did um, we did the Disney Decade, which was a co-production with Modern Mouse. Um, our friend Josh Taylor, who is now on our team as well, <laughs> working yes. working for yes. Modern Mouse and for No Midnight Media. He just moved to Southern California, so we have uh, we have a teammate down in Southern California again, which nice. is cool. And then um, truthfully, so I want to fast forward. We did, we've done several, we've done several miniseries. We did one called The Boy Who Lived, which um, kind of told, it told the story of actually of Albie, of some experiences that yes. Albie had with his childhood through the lens of Harry Potter. We've, we just really, we discovered that just sitting around and talking while it is fun and we have a good chemistry and we enjoy it. We discovered that we could be, that that's what everybody is kind of doing. And there's a lot of people right. in the parks sphere that have been doing this for a long time. Many of them have success solely for that reason. Yeah, I'm saying it. And it's hard to compete with that kind of success. So we decided rather than try to out podcast the podcasters, we would just do something completely different. And so we've really focused on quality and storytelling. And so now um, I've actually, we've, Adam's Theme Park Time Machine has picked up the park storytelling end of what we do. And I've actually gone mainstream, so to speak, and have started working um, my, I call it my radio story sandbox now, but um, unpacked has become exactly that it's a radio story sandbox. I live in San Francisco and work as a journalist, so I'm constantly trying to find stories that I can put on um, Unpacked and also sell to news outlets. So that's kind of taken on a life of its own. And Theme Park Pulse has spun into a game show (laughs) a la Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. That was what inspired it. And we do a 30 minute version of it. And it's heavily edited down from about a 90 minute podcast. Andrew, you know, you were on in our first season. Yep. Um, Yep. It it, the the tapings are messy and crazy and fun. And then they end up being a very nice, tight, beautifully produced podcast (laughs) within, you know, within eight business days. So it's it, 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 it's truly taken on, and, and actually I'll use this as a platform to say this, um, even that is subject to change later this year. So there's always something new coming from, from No Midnight Media. Um, in fact, I, I'll just say it here, what are we, May? We're less than six months away from launching two new podcasts. So, wow. Um, yeah. So and, and all of them uh, in one way or another are based around storytelling. We're gonna lean even heavier into our storytelling backgrounds and to, uh, and to what we do best. And e- Theme Park Pulse, the game's not going anywhere either. Like, well, that, that'll that have a way to shine as well. It's just, gosh, it's gonna be exciting. But um, truthfully, Disney is what really taught me about stories, because if you really drill down, everything at Disney is story-based. And and, yep. and, and and it caused me to kind of zoom out and look at the rest of the world and be like, everything, nothing else matters unless there's a good story behind it like I don't I don't care about it what's the story like why the story is why is the why 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 care it's the story and right. as right. and as as a queer person as a member of the LGBTQIA community there's something my I guess my beat as a reporter you might say outside of parks is uh, is covering LGBTQIA issues and I think that um that a lot of our stories um as as the queer community have are being told to and for straight people and not to right. and for us. So, um, one of my goals as a journalist, one of the things that this storytelling has inspired is is not so much thinking about the story and how it's being told, but who it's being told to, and and how, and the language, and how it's packaged. Are we are we making people feel seen in our work? And um, so, that's going to inspire one of the things we're working on later this year as well.
2: Nice. Well, all I'm the always, things. You know, <laughs> all the things. So, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, I've been a listener and fan, and and a long time a patreon member and i'm planning on coming back just working out some personal situations yeah like, so your money is no you. good here yeah <laughs> but you know for a long time for about three years now uh yeah. so almost the entire length of things and i'm always excited to see what you guys are going to do next and not just what are they going to unpack next what are what are you going to do when theme park pulse the game next but more the bigger things like you're talking about you know new podcasts new new ideas new you know major pivots basically because you guys are so creative and that's awesome
3: thanks um, brother appreciate I, that
2: yeah, of course, of course. So I, I do want to touch upon it for the benefit of our listeners. Uh, you did mention a couple of things there. And yes, some of my favorites,
3: uh, the yeah, I have more, you know, you, but I just didn't want to like name my do my entire resume.
2: No, no, of course, of course. You know, again, I'm always looking forward to what you guys gonna do next. And you know, as unpacked, for example, has venture just you are subscribing out into the real world beyond the park gates you guys have done some great stories really interesting stuff and you know even during the pandemic talking about pandemic stories and people you know going through covid and whatnot i mean really really good stuff like you said Thank like you. a beat reporter but with your with your creativity for sure for sure but again for the benefit of our audience um the no midnight and, and by the way we should probably do this real quick i love why you named it no midnight <laughs> so I have a couple of your shirts. So it's basically "carpe diem."
3: Essentially, yeah, right? it came it came from a quote that um I think I think we just completely made up, or I just completely made up. I actually don't even remember the genesis of that quote. But <laughs> yeah, I live in California. and there's marijuana here. I don't remember a lot. <laughs> but um, no, but like it, it came from this this quote that's uh, live your life as if there's no midnight. Like Cinderella, right. everything fell apart for her at midnight. And so she had to rush and, and, and like it was just, it was stressful. And I, it's that no fear of failure. Like if you're not afraid to fail, then there is no midnight. Right. Yeah. right. So we, uh, when, when we, and it was the No Midnight podcast and we decided probably too late <laughs> that that wasn't very SEO friendly, though it was cute. And so right. we, uh, we shifted to Theme Park Pulse, um, which is a lot more SEO friendly. We've stuck with that ever since, but we actually named the, the production company as a group. We decided to name it No Midnight Media. So we all we all all the stuff we do and produce for Patreon and all of our podcasts is all under the No Midnight Media umbrella. And there's under a roller coaster umbrella. in yeah. our logo.
2: Yes, that's right. That's right. It's a great logo. So yeah, so you know, your your treasure trove of your uh, your back episodes, your catalog, your history is rich. And I do want to I'm going to just touch upon for the benefit of our listeners who, you know, perhaps many of them have not been exposed to you No know, Midnight Before, Theme Park Calls, and I'm Back. And again, you touched upon them. But you know, again, as an avid podcast listener and now podcast producer and creator myself, I, I frequently share. You know, every day I'm sharing with someone. Have you heard this? Oh, you're interested in that? You should check out this. And it's all about podcasts. And I have shared with people, David included, Disney Decade, Walt, your Bob Ger story, your radio story, which is awesome with so many people and for me, I mean, they're all great, but I think the one that gives me the most chills is Disney decade Mm. that era, you know, from the from mid-80s into the mid-90s, you know, a little more than a decade but, you know, we call it the Disney decade.
1: Right. You know, the, the back
2: in the Eisner days, the Eisner the, the the rise and fall of Eisner if you will, just incredible and so pivotal for so many of the experiences, attractions, and parks that we love to this day. Not taking away from what Bob Iger did or anyone before, uh, for that matter, before Eisner, but that was pivotal because Disney was not doing well in the mid-80s, early yeah. mid-80s. It was
3: one of the most important yeah. decades in the history of the company and it was probably the the most important in terms of uh, ensuring Disney's future because uh, Disney Disney might not exist today had that decade not happened. Yeah, we for might, me, we might the, live in that dystopia. Yeah, yeah.
2: For me, the analog or, or
3: Cedar the... Fair would own Disneyland. Can you imagine? Oh,
2: oh my gosh, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> as much as I left Cedar Fair, it's like no, no. Six uh, flags you know, over Disneyland. <laughs> my my favorite companies. If I had to name my three favorites, there well, I have to do four now. Disney Universal. Apple and Tesla, and Apple, for example, Steve Jobs coming back to Apple in the later '90s. That's a, the analog to what Eisner did at Disney. Oh yeah. So and breathe, it's is so pivotal.
3: Breathe new life into it. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Exactly. So, but anyway, so Disney Decades, an amazing piece of history that you guys tell over. I think it's like six episodes or so.
3: Yeah. And um, I, I you know, it's yeah. funny. So much has changed. I'm actually those. That's on one of the feeds. I'm not sure which feed <laughs> which feed that stuff yeah. is up on anymore. Um, I know on Unpacked, one thing one thing that I think um, I think people might resonate with a lot was Brett Mickey and Walt. Um, yes, was a really fun yes. series. I, I got to sit down with Brett Iwin, who's the the current voice of Mickey Mouse. One of the two current voices of Mickey Mouse. He's traditional Mickey, and then uh, Christian Amantopoulos is the, uh, I call it the Ren and Stimpy Mickey, the one that's in the uh, the attraction is Christian Amantopoulos, but it, I mean, unprecedented access. I uh, got to just truly spend days with Brad Iwan, go to his home, play with his nerdy backyard train, and <laughs> I, I interviewed his mother and his father and his brother, and um, really went in-depth, and I think that also was about Three, maybe even four hours by the time it was all done between the three episodes. It was a lot of content. Um, and that's that's still sitting in the unpacked feed as well. Um, that's, that was a really fun series. A lot of bonus content with it too. Q&As and fun little story, bonus story episodes. And I love making stuff like that. It's super fun. Profiling interesting, fascinating people is... Is, is really, really uh, a driver of my passion and my storytelling these days, because I think everybody has Absolutely. a story to tell. You just have to stick around long enough to find it.
2: Absolutely. And yeah, that's, uh, thank you for bringing up Brett Iowan. I, I, of course, I've listened to everything you guys have done, you know, since the past three years and even before I, I went to, you know, stuff before that, but yeah, that went, yeah, <laughs> of course you bet. So Brett Iowan's story, that was awesome. Very well produced. And you know I loved Thanks, Brett's beginning, kind of beginning of his life and where he was, you know, I think he and his brother were recreating Fantasmic. Yeah, you know, Matt in their backyard. backyard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brett, Brett's he's he's great, and I loved hearing his story. And so, yeah, all these stories we're talking about. You know, Brett Iwin, Disney Decade, the Walt Surreal, all about Waltz life, which was again, amazing. oh, and things
3: They'd Disney wishes you would forget. It was. Also-
2: oh yes. Yes, that one might come yes. back
3: someday. That was fun.
2: That was a really I'm yeah, sure we can really find
3: fun. another another few topics to make an episode about.
2: Yeah, all these things we're talking about for our listeners and probably one at least one other we'll be talking about next. Um these are all these all can be found either the Theme Park Pulse podcast uh channel or unpack other or just yeah.
3: midnightmedia.com everything's there you go. aggregated through there, yeah.
2: On the website, yes, yes. So, one of your more recent Episodes that you did, podcasts that you did, uh, which is more radio style, which again mm-hmm. gave me chills. I remember listening to it. This is going back what a year and a half ago or so now. Was the relationship that you built with Bob Gurr mm-hmm. to where you got where you came to the point where you were be, were friends friends with him? You Adam, yeah. etc. Yeah, I still, I still and, email
3: Uncle Bob every couple of weeks and check in with him because that is a, and and know, He sends Disney very very right. long emails complete with pictures and reply. It's very cute.
2: Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. That's how we. So to your <laughs> your friendship had culminated, you know, to the point where you got to go to his home on my and birthday interview him on, on you. your birthday. Yeah. Yes. Cause you're a Scorpio like me. Yes. Yeah. Interviewed him in his home and had what Thanksgiving dinner with him.
3: We, yeah. um, Essentially. Yeah. We, well, it, yeah, it was that week, but it was like, we just cooked dinner for him. We, he invited us. We were on the way to Disneyland. It was wow. Mimi and Albie and Philly at the time. And it was the night of my birthday. He was like, yeah, stop by and we'll do dinner. So we stopped by. Um, He did, I, I guess, he just assumed that we were gonna drive so he walked out and hopped in our car which was full of people and luggage so we had to like move some stuff around (laughs) to make room for him and we went to the grocery like i'm still looking back on it, it blows my mind went went to the grocery store with bob and we bought food and we came home and cooked and he gave us the tour which you hear a lot of in that that story i i asked i was like what i was like what's a story that you don't feel like has been told enough and he he said why i left disney and I was like, ironically, I've never heard that story. <laughs> um so I was like, do you do you mind telling that story?" And he was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And so like it, it, at one point after dinner, his his demeanor changed, and he was like, "Let's do this." Like he went into interview mode and was like, "Get your stuff, Let's go." Like let's start. He went into business mode, and uh, hmm. and he gave a lot. And I think it it was it was really special. It was a really special story at a special time. That was yeah, I, I don't, I, almost two years ago. Yeah, almost
2: two years ago, but two years this November, I believe. Yeah, I mean, really, you know, in kind of an unpacked kind of way of doing things, really unpacked his life and some of the aspects of his career at Disney and and why it came to an end, like you said, and, and I'm some not things done that, you know, maybe with like, uncle yeah.
3: Bob there, uncle Bob has oh, good. so many more stories. I just need to wait until it's safe to go visit him. But yeah, no, don't, don't think that that's the last time you're going to hear from uncle Bob. because
2: Awesome. Awesome. I look forward to that for sure. So. The last thing I think I'd like to ask you about, and you've kind of talked about this a little bit in terms of your your storytelling abilities, is, you know, of course, as we as you yourself mentioned, Disney and Universal, especially more recently, you know, they're all about storytelling, their attractions, their parks, their lands. And obviously it's a passion of yours. What would you say drives your passion as a storyteller? Why, you know, I understand you love telling these stories and you're great at it, of course. And we've given some great examples, but what why do you like to tell stories? Is it because Walt was a great storyteller and you're inspired by him or is it more than that?
3: I worry about our stories being lost. I worry. I think about our elders. I think about people that have. Um, I, I I look at myself at 38 years old and realize how much wiser I am than I was at 21. You know what I mean? And so sure. I look back. I look at all you know my friends that are in their their 60s and 70s and 80s. Bob Gers in his 80s. It's like these stories aren't going to be here waiting to be told forever. Bob Gurr personally has told me some stories that he's like no one's ever had the his words. No one's ever had the balls to ask me about that. <laughs> and i was like wow. i do i do you know and so like i i don't know i for me i the world is just full of stories and uh, i like the tangible art of creating audio all the way down to i was describing it to someone the other day the simple i have this this interview mic it's a uh, an ev db50 hold on i think i said it wrong yeah an re50 oh, a little portable one right this yeah. microphone yeah feel for its for the size of of what it looks like weighs like a thousand pounds like this thing is so heavy wow. and bulky and i it, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. okay. All the way down to the act of sitting in front of someone and holding this microphone in the correct position to make sure I'm getting the perfect mouth sounds, the perfect audio, (laughs) Uh, uh, and then to taking that and to transcribing it and finding the best clips and writing and finding a way to bring it all together and take, look, the number one thing, we you you guys host podcasts, so you know this, the number one thing we always hear is, oh, I'm so sorry I was so rambly. Spoiler alert, everyone is rambly. Uh Right. like yeah. the reason yeah. the the reason edited storytelling sounds so good is because someone found what you were trying to say and simplified it and made it digestible. And right. I love doing that because the world is complicated and I don't understand a lot of stuff. I say this to people, even on subjects that I know a lot about, I say this to interview subjects. I say, um, as you're talking to me today, think of me as a really bright 12 year old. And a very and, curious and, and one. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Because that right there tells you you're dealing with a person with some intelligence. This is a person that can hold a conversation, but assume I know nothing. Right. right. You know? Right. And um, right. I. I don't learn the way most people learn. I dropped out of high school. This is here's here's the the real answer to your question. That has nothing to do with Top Thrill Dragster. I dropped out of high school uh, very much against the advice of my family because I felt from a very early age that I was struggling and was not getting the help I needed and knew what I wanted to do already. 25 years later, I'm still doing it. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know. It's I think that I don't know. I don't. I I don't know where else to go from that. (laughs) But no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Yeah. it it just it it drives me because I've never learned the way. This is this is where that thought was going. (laughs) I've I've never (laughs) learned the way that society teaches us to learn. I have to have a genuine curiosity about something to learn about it. But then once I do have a, a genuine curiosity, the curiosity is insatiable, and I become an expert on something quickly. And I think I've been given a gift of being able to take. Things that are semi-complex and explain them in a way that makes people understand them and understand the heart of the story. So, um, I like telling stories, but not even my own. I'm, I'm really, believe it or not, I talked for 20 years mostly about myself uh, on the radio, and I'm at this stage in my life. I'm very uncomfortable with it. I, I'm um, because it's no longer about me. It's about telling uh, telling stories that matter to the people that are listening to them and the people that are telling them. And I think um, through storytelling, you can really hit people in their emotions and you can really get people to think and process what's going on in the world around them. And that's that's why I tell stories instead of just making jokes over journey records now.
2: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. As I as I mentioned earlier, um, some of your serials, some of your episodes, I've listened to more than once. Especially after this conversation, I feel like I need to and I want to now, like the Bob Gurr one, for example. But I, I welcome your downloads, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> With pleasure. So but yeah, again, I've listened to some of these more than once. And each time I've listened to, for example, Walton and Dizzy Decade multiple times, each time it gives me chills. But, you know, for good reasons, like you said, it, it's, you know, all the feels, the emotions, because, you know, you you, you have that knack. And, and again, everyone else on the team there that's involved, you know, Josh helped you with with the Dizzy Decade big time. Adam. And John, and Josh essentially well. wrote
3: it and Adam edited it and wow. then I produced it. Yeah. So that's incredible.
2: Yeah. It's just so well done. And again, it's, it's holding away these kind of complex, very intricate with many people involved, many, many actors involved, so to speak, you know, different people in the management at Disney and whatnot, the Disney decade where, you know, you, you do it in these bite-sized chunks where you talk about, you know, in, in this, Brief time period we're going to talk about today. These pivotal things happened, and here's why this led to this, led to this, and, and just really, really get to the the bottom of things of what went on and why it went on and how it how it impacts Disney to this day, for
3: example. And, and every yeah, story just, is unique. Yeah. Every story is unique. Yeah, yeah. Mine, yours, David over there, his his is unique. Every oh, story, yeah. every story is unique, and I think that the the when you like I now view part of my not having a fear of failure is that I now view every potential failure as a great story i dive in headfirst into situations where i might fail because you know what if i do hell i can write about it i can right. i can share that with people and maybe somebody else can learn from it so yeah you know, i think i think it's healthy to approach life that way and that's where you find all it, the good stories
2: exactly it can be a learning experience for you it can be a learning experience for the listeners and you know i look at you know how you described and i was thinking about this already when you first started answering that last question we were talking about Bob Gir right before that, and you know Bob is is not young in years. He's had a very full and incredible life.
3: He would be but, really mad know, at you for saying that, though, because he, he's young he and loves he's he young loves hard. to remind me in a way that I can't share on this podcast um, that he is young and virile. He's he oh. has a very funny sense of humor. Yeah, that Bob.
2: Oh Her. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I know he has a great sense of humor, but but yeah. <laughs> you know there will be a time, a very unfortunate time, when Bob Gir is no longer with us. Unfortunately. Some, not something I want to think about because he's, he's an amazing, one of the most pivotal Imagineers with with Disney and the things he's done in his life. And, and me being an, an engineer, and Bob's very much a very mechanics type person, you know, I can relate to it way his mind thinks. So you being a person and your team that have captured, and and will hopefully continue. It sounds like to capture, you know, more of the amazing life that is Bob Gurr, that person that is Bob Gurr, that will be saved in the. Podcast annals for for years to come, for for the future generations. And I look at it, you know, when I was a kid, you know, you and I are very similar in age. I'm a few years old than so you grew up in the 80s and whatnot, 90, 90s. You know, I don't have really much of any photos anymore from when I was a kid because that was before mm-hmm. the digital age. But sure. you know what? Ever, ever since the late 90s, I've got my photos and I look back at them and I treasure them. Well, podcasts, you know, especially storytelling-based podcasts about real things, not not fictional things, you know, they are a historical record and you guys are doing an amazing job with that with theme parks and, and other stories beyond.
3: So. That's something I meant to say in my answer earlier. Another reason I like to tell stories is because it is an oral history. It is documenting what we've been through. Um, just, I mean, I, I specifically work on a lot of stories about the queer community. And again, it's, it's stories that don't get told because they aren't palatable to the mainstream audience. But the reality is our experiences are unique and valid and and need to be told and need to be captured and documented and, and saved for history. Yeah, we're all
2: we're all be better for it. Absolutely. And that's, that's really, really good work. One kind of last main question for you, I I asked this of all the people I interviewed for this podcast. You've given, you know, you've told us so much great, great information, shared some perspectives and some really valuable reasons why you're a storyteller. And that's really, really deep. But besides what you've already shared, is there anything else, any, any other advice you would like to go ahead and share with our listeners?
3: Quit your job and do the thing. Good. Good. Really, like whatever that is on in your heart that you want to do, like what? What the hell are you waiting for? Like,
2: yeah. So, as a as a fellow person of person of passion, Corey, one of my idioms, I love living by idioms because you know there's a reason why they exist as idioms. They're kind of like stereotypes, but in a very positive way. And one of the ones I I really live by is a life without passion is a life not lived. Agreed. If you don't find passion in your life, and again, we try to encourage our listeners to live better lives, to face their fears, to conquer depression, conquer anxiety, conquer things that are holding oneself back. And and live a better life. And and so that all that sort of stuff that holds you back, sort of negative things that we try to help people beyond. The flip side of that is when you kind of get rid of all that baggage in your life, you can find that passion more easily, more totally. readily. Yeah. So so there's there's that to it. So okay, well, very good. Well, thank you again for chatting with us. It's a great conversation. The last thing I'd like to ask you is where can people find you, you know your website, podcasts? social media, the whole nine yards.
3: All the stuff. Well, um, for me specifically, I guess the, the the easiest place to just find everything that I do is at my website, ChristopherJBeal.com. That's B-E-A-L-E.com, Christopher J. Beal. The podcast, uh, ThemeParkPulse.com unpackedpodcast.com everything again under that umbrella is at nomidnightmedia.com we don't do a lot on youtube so check out my buddy josh on modern mouse on youtube we're at theme park pulse on facebook theme park pulse on twitter and then uh, my personal twitters are at Corey on the radio that's Corey with a k or real chris j beal and it's the same handles on instagram
2: perfect that's all great great way places to go i've been to many of those so again i'm glad people can be able to find you and learn more about you and and perhaps most importantly is is to experience your work thank so you thank I you really very appreciate much, that my pleasure my pleasure thanks for thanks for joining us today Corey and uh, hopefully we'll see some great stories from you soon
3: thank you very much for having me
0: thank you Andrew thank you Corey that was a really good episode Jenna
1: yeah I I, I kind of want to interview him myself just because <laughs> I, being a Disney fanatic myself and knowing a lot of things about Disney it, I love learning more of the magic that happens
0: yeah and I think just like when I was listening to his Bob Bob uh, episode. Uh, he really did a good job of showing how when all the way from when Walt was around to when Walt when Walt passed away, how much the company changed. Yeah. From what Bob Gerr showed. And uh yes, and what Corey talked about today, just for his love from the very beginning, his love for Walt Disney. It's it, yeah, it's very fascinating. And uh I just he does an incredible job. And I'm really honored and I really want to thank Corey personally for coming on our podcast, helping us launch our first season. I was just just say it was just really fantastic
1: I am kind of words taken straight out I don't know what to say I mean it's just like that okay I gotta stop remember to breathe because I'm kind of like holding my breath thinking like okay how is this going to play out you know how is this going how how is everything he said you know he he just he he captivates you listening to him I mean it's just he's amazing I
0: mean he is really awesome and if you guys make sure to check out his podcast it's really awesome and uh yes this was a fantastic episode a great interview so i really want to thank all you guys out there for taking the time to listen to us make sure to hit that uh subscribe button make sure to give us a thumbs up or a five star on this episode and make sure to share it with your friends and family and colleagues uh for those that want to get feedback uh justin how can our listeners be able to contact us if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast And if you want to see more from us, we upload every Friday. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links in the description. Thank you, Justin. So, yes, guys, make sure to send us some feedback. Send us some comments. We'd love to hear from you. we got a very exciting episode going up next week. We have new episodes come out every Friday. I hope you guys will tune back in with us. But until then, this is David Cantu. This is Jenna Gazelle. And we'll see you all next week right here on Coaster Challenge. (laughs)